So what's up? I, I, I... <laughs> Again? Jeez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How long is the situation going to go down? Jeez. Well, well, um, I, I, like yesterday I cleaned my guitars the first time in weeks, and I'm like, so unmotivated, you know, somebody said, how can you not play anymore? I said, just, I'm not motivated, you know, and it's not coming to my brain, to my hands, to my fingers, to the instrument, you know. Yeah. Trust me, I know. <laughs> yeah, you got that too? Yeah, oh, yeah. For years now, it's, it's terrible. I mean, even the themes that we did here, it was like, either they came to me suddenly like lightning, like they always did, mm-hmm. or I was working off of demos that I had done. Uh, you know, like, I think I played you the original version of yeah, the Weird yeah. Scenes uh, thing like, months before we did the podcast. And it's like, oh, yeah, here's some stuff I did recently. Check it out. You know, that's really it. I really haven't been writing anything. I haven't been doing much. I fiddle. You know, it's like, not like my fingers don't work, but there's really nothing going on. I just don't feel it. Well, anything. you know, it's funny. I... I... <laughs> And I didn't put the damn phone on. About an hour after fooling around with stuff, I said, hey, that's a Tom Petty song. Also, I was playing all these Tom Petty songs. I said, hey, it sounds really good. Oh, my phone's charging. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, well, this is not bad. You know, it's like, all right, it took me like two hours. But, you know, I really don't have that block of time anymore. Since everybody was out of the house yesterday, it was like, thank God. So there's that. Oh, funny thing is, I've been trying to catch up on on a lot of these new movies that everybody's talking about on Facebook. You know, like in some things, some people really like. I'm looking at majority of people, like oh, I'll maybe check that out. I just don't have patience for like heavy gore. Yeah, never did. And you know, um, and, you know, unless it's Italian, and then it's but it's arty in a way. We we talked yeah. about this many times. There's a distance there. It's fake feeling. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's very arty. Even without trying to be, but a lot of this stuff people like. I'm like, oh no, no. I was talking to Tim Lucas, I believe, about this, and it came up in one of the threads we were talking about how like people that used to say, okay, yeah, I'm a big horror fan, I'm a monster kid, I'm whatever, or like myself, no longer saying I am a horror fan because they automatically think you mean the shitty gore films. I'm like. No. Okay, I'm a cult film fan, you know, it's become more general, whereas, you know, I even met a friend of mine for 25 years, way back in grammar school, because we both got up on the same day at like 5 in the morning to watch Equinox, you know, the Jack Hill one, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we found out we met each other that day at the gym class, actually, and we're bullshitting about it, oh, you saw that too, oh, yeah, and that was like a 25-year friendship, when nobody was talking about these kind of things, so I was a horror fan from when I was pretty damn young. I used to watch yeah, stuff with my father, whatever. And yet, nowadays, I won't say I'm a horror fan at all, because I don't want to be associated with, I'm not a gore hound. You know, even though I love that Cramps song, really, to me, it stops once you get out of, I want to say, late 80s Italian genre film, and that's it. After that, I was like, eh, no, I could do without this. <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I dabbled, and I, I, I watched some enjoyable stuff. Don't don't get me wrong, it's just that a lot of the, like, I'm talking about super current. You know, yeah. the, although Mandy's fucking insane, I will recommend that. The <laughs> Nick Cage thing, it's it's the movie is just psh, crazy. I can't even describe that. Thing. Did he write it? <laughs> no, no. It's yeah. a guy who did a movie called Beyond the Black something. It's John George Pan Cosmato's son. He did Cassandra Crossing and one of the Rambo pictures. Mm-hmm. It's very freaking out there. But anyway. I've been trying to watch this stuff, and I'm patient. I've been doing a lot of comfort food movies on Netflix. 
because I go on, you know, it's usually late at night and everybody's sitting around. And so the guy doesn't work during the week right now currently. So he's like, he's watched everything anime. And I'm like, hey, I like to watch it. I watched that today. I watched that whole series. He said, you watched the whole thing? Oh, uh, I'll watch it again. I said, no, because I know what that feels like. You watch something and then yeah. you want to watch it again. I'm like, you watched everything? Hmm. <laughs> Well, to be fair, there's not much good new anime. What's good out there right now is they're finally licensing all the stuff they ignored, like the long TV series. Mm -hmm. So you're getting stuff from like 1980, 1976. It's all of a sudden coming over here like, okay, it's a shitty series, but God Mars or the Harlock series or things like that. So, you know, that's good. I even enjoyed that one. What was that? Glass Mask, the one that was like about this girl learning to act. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, it was really good. But, you know, if you talk about new stuff, I remember I was wearing my Death Note jersey, and some guy came up and saw it. I was like, oh, that's a great jersey, and whatever. And he started talking about, oh, do you see Attack on Titan? I'm like, no. And he had no idea. It's like, instantly, the anime fan thing dropped. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I don't know this new stuff. It's, it's all fan service. I don't really need to see panty flashes and jiggling boobs in a cartoon. You know, you want to show me some live action stuff? Maybe, but... <laughs> We, we did a show on hentai, didn't we? One no, time? we talked about it, but we never did it. That was before the hiatus. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. Well, it's difficult to do because you can't get rather samey, and, and especially if you watch a lot of it in preparation for a show. Mm-hmm. I mean, we should we we we're gonna pull that back off, you know, and put it put it on the back burner, so to speak, because okay. you know, besides Yuritsu Koji, you know, and all that other stuff, there Angel was darkness, my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I know it was, and there was a lot of stuff. And God, you know, the streaming sites like don't laugh, like X Hamster. Okay. They actually have logged in shows, so if you can't find it, they got them in there now. They got them. No, they got them all in like they got them all in the batches now. Somebody's been uploading all these fucking shows. You know what I liked? Some of the old Cream Lemons. There was one. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forget which one it was, but I know that they. I actually got it from, and it was from like a porn site. I had to go buy the DVD. Uh, there's a castle. And they go up there, and it's like basically like a haunted house kind of story. And they, they pull out a koto because they have the candle holders that are actually arms and whatever else. And, of course, it goes sentai towards the end. But it's really – and oh, of course, and a priest is the protagonist. And it's like this uh, basically demon trying to seduce the priest into giving up his whatever for lust. And it's – I always really love this one. I had it on VHS from God Knows When from Kim's video. I know there was one I gave you I really liked. It was twisted. Oh, I can't remember. Uh, yeah, I, I, I still got to see this Bible Black thing from you one of these days. <laughs> yeah, I sold a lot of them on eBay a while ago, but I still I still have a few, and and I, I just kicked my ass for doing that. Well, who am I going to watch it with? That's the other thing. Too. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's, and who do you watch it with? <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, it's like you you think this one's good? Yeah. Oh, uh, Bible Blacks, wow. <laughs> but yeah. They're, yeah, they're all insane. But oh, before we go off on this, you know who was dealing with that was uh, Carl Morano and uh, what was his, that DVD company he used to have? Uh, Shriek Show. Oh, Shriek Show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He had an offshoot that was doing all this hentai stuff. Yep, that was most of what he was know, putting out for a while. Right. Though. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so I, I, I now he does magic. You know that? Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he does magic now. But he does magic shows. Yeah. With these three guys. Anyway, um, 
he used to do cons and used to sit at a table, you know, for years and years. I'm like, hey, uh, you got any of that hentai left that you guys used to have? Oh, yeah, it's over here. I'm like, 25 fucking dollars for 40 minutes? What are you, nuts? <laughs> How many years you know me? Well, you know, it's the price. What price? Who'd, who'd you pay for this? Come on. It's long gone, done deal. Yeah. No. Come on, don't, don't do that. Because you can't find guys. Years ago, guys used to find used to find crisp bootlegs, you know, really nice covers. Mm-hmm. You know, for ten, fifty bucks, that's long gone. Yeah, different market now. It's a different market, but you know, things come around in circles. Okay, you ready for? Okay. <laughs> Listening to Weirds Inside the Goldmine, you've got the old things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Tonight, he always comes back. The life and films of Arnold Schwarzenegger on the new and approved Third Eye Cinema Weird Scenes Network, now on Podbean. So, good evening, and welcome to the fifth episode of the seventh season of Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell and join me, Doc Savage, and my co-host, Mr. Lewis Paul, as we discuss the beloved, the hated, the weird, and the wonderful world of cult film, music, television, and more. Born into a stiff, lower-middle-class Austrian background just after the war, Arnold Schwarzenegger rebelled from his rigid father and prescribed life in an early age, eschewing the family plans for his life and career to pursue a rocky road in the dubious world of bodybuilding. Idolizing the likes of up-and-coming cinematic peplus stars like Steve Reeves and especially Reg Park, the young Arnold followed his dreams from breaking into local gyms to work out on off hours to participating in an international contest and a solo move to America without even possessing a proper command of the English language. Catching the attention of big names in the physical fitness field like Britain's Wag Bennett and America's Joe Weider, the young up-and-comer became the face of Weider's supplement and equipment empire for many a year, his association with the famed Muscle and Fitness magazine running well into recent years. Taking major titles like Mr. Olympia and Mr. Universe multiple times apiece, by the time the documentary Pumping Iron popularized what had been seen as something of a mockable geek sideshow into the exercise craze of the past 40 years, he'd already starred in two feature films as lead or top bill co-star to big names like Jeff Bridges, Sally Field, and even ubiquitous comedian-slash-voice actor Arnold Stang, and the best was still yet to come. But with the dawn of the 1980s came a starring role in a grim philosophical take on Robert E. Howard's famed barbarian warrior and king and a long career in quip-heavy, surprisingly light-hearted action cinema began. Parlaying successes in both bodybuilding and cinema into a political career, he's become not only a two-term state governor, but expanding his ostensible party politic to become one of the more outspoken voices, both for green initiatives and against perhaps the most corrupt administration ever to sit in office. Always surprising, never stagnating, tonight we celebrate the life and films of the Austrian oak and governor himself, the inimitable Arnold Schwarzenegger. So, like I said, I am Doc Savage, and with me is Mr. Lewis Paul. Hello, Lewis. Hello, everyone. That's a very good intro because, yeah, something I want to make a quick note of before we delve into his filmography is that, yeah, he's a guy who struggled to get to where he is. He was into something else, and then he got into films. And then he became a politician, governor of California. And people disliked him. And you know what? I have great respect for this man now. Mm-hmm. As a uh, as an outspoken political commentator and Nearly 95% of the things he has to say, I am liking a lot. 
You see him here. And and you know what? <laughs> if this fucker stayed in, <laughs> I would. If, and if they change the laws, why the fuck not? Mm-hmm. Uh, Donald Trump a fuckerist got to be president. <laughs> he's a complete idiot. Yep. If they change the law, I would vote for this guy because you know what? I think he learned things. I think he learned things and he started to he started to be exposed to what's wrong. And he and he really tells it. I, I don't know if people really follow him. Uh, Facebook has Instagram, but you know, sometimes he just he gets pissed off like we do. He comes right out there. He don't give a shit anymore. Yep. And he just says, Hey, you know, this is wrong what you're doing to this country. I mean, I like this guy. He has definitely developed politically because when he came here, you know, he was kind of salt of the earth and he felt like a lot of us felt when we were younger, myself included, when I was very young, that what you have and what you make and what you succeed at is yours and it shouldn't be taken to other people that haven't worked for it or haven't done anything for it. And he's like, okay, you know, I'm all for this. Laissez-faire against huge government. We're good with this. And then over time, and we're talking about very recently, as in past his, well, into his second term, if not after he was no longer governor, all of a sudden he started realizing that things are different. He started talking first more in terms of green, because originally he was one of those guys, oh, I'm the one who wants to have a Hummer, which is this huge-ass military vehicle and, and a gas guzzler and God knows what else. And he started this craze among yuppies, which was just annoying, not only because they're big, expensive, and obnoxious, which was his whole idea. Like, oh, we'd be obnoxious on the roads driving this thing. But on top of that, they're very bad environmentally speaking. And all of a sudden now he's there, he's almost like Ed Begley Jr., not quite that bad, but he's become one of those hardcore green types. And then on top of that, this whole shtick with Trump, at the very least, I think he was speaking out before that, but obviously when this guy going crazy in the White House and tweeting all kinds of nastiness his way and everybody else's way, he's, like you said, he's just coming out and saying what he feels and not worrying about it, which is, you know, it's a good thing, it's a good place to be in life. And the fact that he is and was a political figure. Like you said, if it was possible to vote for this guy into the White House, I would put him in there. I think he's learned his lesson. Oh, yeah. I, not, I, personally, I'm not ignoring the <sighs> rumored the, the Me Too part of the whole story. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, well. Yeah, we, we've, we've kind of dropped stuff about this before. It's not cool. It's not good. It never was. <laughs> From politicians to Actors, people in power, etc., etc., etc. It's wrong, but I, I, I just not quite sure because he was with his maid, his nanny, and when we saw what she looked like, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't working <laughs> out. No, maybe it wasn't working out. Maybe he actually probably had an affair with this older Latin woman, and you know, it's a strange world we live in. <laughs> I, I never saw he forcibly did something with someone. There are no stories about that. So, yeah, you know, there's really, you know, with all the guys we discussed so far, there's no vast improper uh, uh, improprieties uh, with women. Well, maybe class. <laughs> yeah, maybe class. Oh, sorry. That's yeah, thank story. you. That's a hell of a story. It's Klaus Kinski. Uh, please check our Klaus Kinski show if you really want to be entertained. But, yeah, I can see that. And, you know, and the other end of the coin, which is you have to definitely handle, is there's a superstar, a multimedia superstar, a, a politician, a movie star. You want to make it the business, what are you going to do? You're going to blow them. You're going to fuck them. Mm-hmm. And that is the frank sorry to be so frank. That is the frank 
truth of the game sometimes. And this goes for guys as well as women. Brian Singer. <laughs> uh, Kevin Spacey. <clears throat> yeah. No, this is like, yeah, I'll suck you, dick. You know, sorry, that's not me. I'm just saying, you know. Uh, I don't find either one of these guys attractive. Tom Cruise, I don't know. But anyway. <laughs> but anyway. I shouldn't say that because Tom, well, Tom Cruise, we didn't cover that part. But anyway. <laughs> um, now, if I was to do it with a guy, it might be Tom Cruise, right? Like, anyway. Is this like that guy we were talking about with uh, Chris Evans? Like, I don't know, man. I ain't gay, but I would blow him. I let him do me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, he might hurt you. He's Captain America. You know, like, oh. You know, <laughs> use Luke. <laughs> this guy just walks in the stores that's still offering this, and we're like, uh, okay, <laughs> thanks, and then leaves. Well, as long as somebody didn't say the Hulk, because oh, it'd boy. be like, oh, yeah. You know, Ruffalo's a cool guy, too. We didn't name check him. Ruffalo's you know, He's awesome. a really activist, highly respected. I respect him. Mark Ruffalo, He, come, he, he gets, when he gets really pissed off, watch out. Another good guy. <laughs> Where was I? Anyway... <laughs> Get off topic. Let's go to the movies. Oh, boy. But, yes, you're right, Ruffalo. I, I love him as a person and as an actor and as an activist. So, yeah, props to him. But, anyway, we're back onto Arnold here. So, this is going to be a good show. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I just cracked open the wine. <laughs> uh, well... Yeah, it's going to be good. So anyway, we won't go too much into his early career. I kind of stated it in the outset. But suffice to say that there was a period in my life, and some local fellows I knew, my drummer was a big one, so we kind of, not even spotting partners so much as, but we did go over to his place, and there'd be a wait set, and we'd just go do a couple of reps. It was kind of a motivating thing, just like my buddy with the rival band. It was like, oh, wow, all of a sudden that last demo, they got really good. What happened? And then it would spur you on to go, oh, I better practice some more or whatever. And then, okay, I, I beat the net. We're good this time. And, this guy got better than me. He's bigger than me. He's better biceps or better pecs or whatever the hell. So it was the same kind of shtick. We had a group of people that were like this. And our big inspiration during this whole period of you know amateur bodybuilding back in, uh, Jesus, around college, just after college, was really Arnold. And a lot of these guys that you'll see in a later documentary we're going to discuss, which is Pumping Iron, Serge Nebray for sure, uh, Frank Zane, Franco Colombo, Lou, Lou Ferrigno. I mean, yeah, but... Oh. Yeah. Top of the game was always, always Arnold. I mean, he put out books on bodybuilding. He was in documentaries. He was in contests. He was in the movies. There were books about him like that. Actually, frankly, excellent tell-all book, Arnold by Wendy Lee, which tells you what a son of a bitch he was. But it's also, honestly, just like my father, who was also into amateur bodybuilding. He was friends with a guy that was, you know, Mr. New Jersey back in the 50s, and a guy that went out to Mr. Uh, I think it's Mr. Olympia was the amateur one. He went out to Mr. Olympia. You know, this was kind of in the area. This is like everybody was a bodybuilder somehow in our circles, at least at one point or another. And Arnold was always top of the game. I mean, not for my father. He was more like him. He was into Rich Park and people like that and Steve Reeves. Uh, right. Actually, Rich Park was my father's hero. So there you go. Another Arnold connection. But you'll see this kind of stuff and he's like, yeah, he's the son of a bitch, but yeah, he's just like my father's sense of humor. I could see him doing that. Right down to, you know, <laughs> advising guys, yeah, go ahead and put a lot of salt in your diet when you're weightlifting, which is, if you know anything about weightlifting, that's like the kiss of death. <laughs> 
but you know, and he convinced some of these dopes to do this just because they were eager beavers or whatever. So yeah, nonetheless, even with that kind of stuff being known, like wow, this guy's a real son of a bitch. It was still like, uh, you know, he was our hero. This was like Arnold. Oh my God, yeah. Who the hell looks like the Austrian Oak? How can we get like that? And yeah, okay, we all know that later on it came out that a lot of these guys were using some steroids. But it was not like what came out later in the 90s, like these guys that were monsters, like, you know, the Brock Lesnar's of the world, where they're cycling and whatever the hell else, and, you know, veins popping out, and that was just disgusting, and none of us were into that shit, thank God. No, I think Arnold was always all natural. Yeah. Well, he admitted that he did some steroids, but it was not like what people consider, you know, nowadays, like, oh, look, I'm on steroids. No, he just kind of, no. it, it was part of the competition thing. But, nonetheless, he, like I said, this guy was kind of a hero to us, and... It turns out that pretty early on, when he was just over here, he had moved from Germany to England for a bit. He was staying with Wag Bennett. I guess a little bit of English from him. And then he moved over here to California, and he was with Joe Weider. A lot of things happened, like posing for gay magazines and all kinds of things. While he was out there, one of the things he got involved with, like I said, was Weider, and he had limited English. So he was in a movie in 1970, which is really early. It was like pretty much he's just off the boat called Hercules in New York. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing is that originally the distributors decided eh, nobody could understand this guy's accent, which is hilarious because nowadays it's, the accent's been restored in the DVD version. And it's like, okay, it's a little bit thicker than usual for Arnold, but it's Arnold. You know, you can hear what he's saying. You can understand it. But at the time, that was considered incomprehensible. So they had to dub over some guy, which was awful. And that's the way I remember seeing it on TV. I wish they had put both versions on for a laugh. I said it's directed by a fellow named Arthur Allen Seidelman, God knows. And he was billed as Arnold. Arnold Strong, which, and they have put Mr. Universe in quotes afterwards, weird if oddly likable TV movie style affair, pairing a young Arnold with nasally voice actor comedian Arnold Stang, what looks like the girl from the second seasons of Banachek and the Nick Hammond Spider-Man, apparently isn't, uh, and the guy from the Pathmark ads. It's like a special effects-free comedic take on the later Coatsy Hercules films, shot with the feel of an early Wonder Woman two-parter. Oh, that Hercules, always pissing off Daddy Zeus by being willful. He decides to head down to Earth, which lands him afoul of airline passengers, a ship's captain and crew, and a cabbie he doesn't have the money to pay, while spouting crazy but truisms about who he is and where he comes from is an explanation. Stang's a hustler who befriends and profits off him. The pathmark guard and his daughter are Greek historians who are fascinated by him, and he eventually winds up wrestling, only to fa- run afoul of mobsters when Zeus's bitchy wife Hera, who has a perpetual mat on for the guy, strips him of his magical powers and causes him to lose a big match. That's really it, except for a final big brawl and chariot race through Central Park. But it became something of a cult classic because of this producer's weird decision to dub Arnold's voice with a stiff white-bred stentorian type. Apparently, Arnold would field calls well into the 90s of friends ringing him up in the middle of the night to laugh at him whenever it aired. But the DVD restores the original spoken soundtrack, so there's nothing very funny about that end. That said, it's goofily endearing, and it's sort of eh, Saturday afternoon light fair fashion. So, what's your take? I, I, I agree, and, and, and unfortunately for him, much like uh, the Stallone show we did when uh, the Nighttime at Kitties or whatever the hell oh, Party of Kitties studs. <laughs> Party of Kitties, yeah. That, this was recycled ad, ad infinitum mm-hmm. for many years. It kind of died down by the late 80s. But every so often, if you went to a movie theater, remember movie theaters, yeah. folks? <laughs> <laughs> Where they actually were like double bills? They say, what's that, double bill? <laughs> Yeah, that would pop up, like, come see Terminator and Hercules in New York. What the hell's that? <laughs> you see those great fucking, you know, Terminator or T2 or whatever it was, even twins. Hercules in New York, they were staying for that. What the fuck is this? Father, strike me with your lightning bolt. 
Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the poor guy, this thing got, you know, it was recycled and recycled. Uh, it, but I agree with you. Everything you said, yeah, it's it's endearing. It's it's charming. Uh, it's horrible. It's it's. Although, I, it depends on what you're going to hit next. It really didn't point out what he's capable of. No, not at all. Uh, so yeah. there he does a couple of bit parts. He's in actually the long goodbye. The Elliot Gould. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. But it's just an uncredited quickie. He's just there as a hood, kind of like Stallone did in around the same time doing stuff like that. But then he's in Stay Hungry, which is now six years later, mind you, mm. which is. All right, it's a Bob Rafelson film, all right, and Bob Rafelson, for those who were around in the 60s and 70s, know that he was huge, huge guy for doing a lot of Nicholson films. So Five Easy Very Pieces. Very counterculture. Yeah. Five Easy Pieces, yeah, yeah. King of Marvin Gardens, Postman Always Rings Twice, and even The Monkey's Head, which is something else. It actually is a head film, but with the monkeys in it, and Frank Zappa providing some kind of uh, oversight and whatever to it. I don't know, somehow he's involved. So what I said about this one was there's a dry dramedy about Jeff Bridges taking over Jim is part of a scam, getting involved with Sally Field and the guys who go to work out there, chief among whom is Arnold. It's pretty bad, despite its unusual cast, which include the likes of R.G. Armstrong, Robert Englund, you know, uh, Freddy Krueger, mm-hmm. Roger E. Mosley, Woodrow Parfait, people that play you see a lot in the 60s, Scatman Crothers, <laughs> Hong Kong Fu himself, Fanny Flagg, the match game regular, and also Fried Green Tomatoes, Ed Begley Jr., who we were talking about before, Living with Ed, Joe Spinell, the maniac himself, and Franco Colombo. And I used to confuse this film with the four superior documentary Pumping Iron from the subsequent year, which always resulted in a pissed off, ah, oh, crap, not this one again. The director had done much, much better films previously, like we mentioned so i consider this less a slump than a career crusher for him well, well yeah he, until he did a particular movie a certain movie that we're going to get to which about four years later he did oddball things but you know he was still reaching out and and i find this film very strange and enduring in a way it's early jeff bridges uh, it's post flying nun obviously selling field <laughs> and you know before she got hooked up with reynolds or, or you know burt reynolds you know i got nothing against burt reynolds in this aspect but it's interesting because arnold is like this bodybuilder guy at the gym who actually has very interesting conversations with yeah. the other actors so with that it's like rafelson wrote some dialogue one would think why would you write such heady dialogue this guy yeah but i felt he pulled it off accent and all it's it's a very weird fucking movie that's for sure yeah and and you know for those who want to see flat sally field noon you know this is a picture for you uh <laughs> hey guys are in for that you know, I, you know every to each his own I, right now because i said that guys are running onto the internet stay hungry sally field noon um um it's an interesting movie. You know, this is still Jeff, and God bless his heart. You know, he still was the same crazy fuck he always is today. Mm-hmm. This is like early Jeff being iconoclastic outsider, who usually starts these kind of early period films being them. But by the end of the film, he's us. Yeah. So right. I always find that interesting. Not a horrible picture. I think it's interesting in parts. And, and Arnold's actually very good in it, despite what it is what it is and what it is today. Much better than the wacko picture that followed. <laughs> and I am not referring to Arnold about this being a career crusher. I'm talking about Bob Raffleson, because it's like, what the fuck? Where'd this come from? 
But you're right, yeah. there are parts that work and aren't certainly respectable in it, especially coming out of nowhere like he did. So right after this, he does this documentary, Pumping Iron, like I mentioned. Mm -hmm. It is a documentary. You know, you look him up on one of those filmographies, it may not appear at first because it's not a fiction film. But nonetheless, these two guys, George Butler, Robert Fiore, a much celebrated documentary about the world of bodybuilding, which went from something of a geek show that skinny hippie types of the era would laugh at, to defining the coming decade with its health kicks and pumped up action film heroes. Oh, if I, if I may interrupt too, sure. it's uh, surfing was a big thing in the 60s, late 60s, and possibly early 70s. Surfing was the thing. Yep. And even with the counterculture change and everything, surfing was still it. So this was a big change, an admittance that this is going on. Please continue. So Arnold is the likely charming but equally nasty son of a bitch front and center uh, <laughs> as they go to the 1975 Mr. Universe and Mr. Olympia competitions. All rough and ready, occasionally mean-spirited but decidedly humorous one-liners, ribbing and practical jokes that the man was noted for, and which you'll find in abundance in the aforementioned unauthorized biography by Wendy Lee, are present herein as he mocks grumpy but dedicated challenger Lou Ferrigno and his obnoxious tiger dad, Matty, oh god, I hate that guy, uh, <laughs> at their <laughs> dinner table and rubs it in the faces of opponents like Serge Nebray. Arnold's pal, co-business owner, and regular film co-star, Franco Colombo, also gets a fair piece of the screen time, but more as like a circus strongman. He's lifting cars, he's blowing up hot water bottles. I mean, it's like a geek show. He's like John Michael Thor. Love it or hate it, it was absolutely inspirational and made a lot of these guys heroes to those of us in the amateur bodybuilding community throughout the 80s and 90s before all those mega steroid types took over with their freakish vein-popping bills. You know, like I said, think like Brock Lesnar. You get the general idea there. Schwarzenegger, Ferrigno, Mike Katz, Franco Colombo, and Serge Nebray are all in this one. And uh, most of them get some decent screen time, but it's really built around Arnold versus Lou with that side thing about Katz and Colombo. Anything you want to say about this one? Hey there. Hello. <laughs> Uh, so anything you want to say about this one? <laughs> it was dead air there. I'm sorry. I, I just mystified. <laughs> I don't know whether to choke or spit it out. My drink. Uh, <laughs> well, I also spit mine out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't know. I do. No, it's it's a really good for what it is. I mean, body It's probably one of the cinematic bibles for bodybuilders yes, so I'm, I'm sure if you're a hardcore guy you say you gotta see this I don't know how many times I've seen that film back when <laughs> yeah 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 the gym I used to go to a lot oh well the guys was on the cover of bodybuilding magazines his name was whatever the fuck his name was mm -hmm. he was really he was really into it and you know people say hey he's on the cover of like extreme muscle today I'm like really I don't know fucking know <laughs> But, so, you know, I'm sure that was the go-to thing. Yeah, one of our distributors throwing out people mm -hmm. there was actually Mr. Natural New Jersey several times in the over 40 group. So, you get the idea. This wasn't, like, just as much teenagers. We were actually serious about it being amateurs. Bodybuilding's a thing, though. It's, it takes a lot of discipline. Yes, it, it takes does. a lot of seriousness. You know, it's like diet. Yep. Change. You don't even want to have sex, right? <laughs> That's true. It's true. Yeah. No, it's it's just like, you know, I tried it. I got up to a point. This is not a fucking. I like fucking. So I, so, so I stopped and became a schlump again. But anyway, 
<laughs> it's like when I tell people, oh, yeah, I was a straight edger when I was 16. Like, when did you break edge? Probably when I was 17 or 18. I mean, you know, it's like, that's a young man's job. You know, after that, you're like, yeah, but I think I'd rather have a drink. I think I'd rather screw. I think I'd rather, you know, mm. smoke a joint, whatever you're going to do. <laughs> no, but, they, no, great, great respect to people who can follow that discipline and, oh, uh, you definitely. know, naturally. Naturally, you know, people who use alternative methods of being in shape, let's put it kindly in that way, it's not good for you. Yeah. You know, you, you can really, really distort your body, yeah. especially as you age, and uh, it's not good for you. But anyway. And you'll really piss off people in a natural New Jersey contest if you do cycle, because that's what happened. One of his titles got taken away. He got it posthumously, but it doesn't matter, because he didn't get to be center podium on the stage by some guy that was actually, you know, using steroids, so... <laughs> But this actually shot Arnold even further into the limelight. So he did a very strange fucking movie right after this. Yeah, so after doing a few things on TV, like the streets of San Francisco, you know, bit parts, he's in this thing called The Villain. Now, I wasn't even able to see this one again recently, but I had seen it in the past. He's the handsome stranger. It's Hal Needham job. So you're thinking, okay, race cars, you know, action. No, not at all. It's more like a weird 70s tongue-in-cheek take on what a silent film must be like, but not as weird is silent movie the Mel Brooks film where the only spoken line was by Marcel Marcel <laughs> sure. Right, sure. Yeah. This one here has Kirk Douglas, Anne Margaret, Schwarzenegger, Paul Lind, <laughs> Foster Brooks, Ruth Buzzy, Struther Martin, Mel Tillis. I mean, what the hell were they thinking? But yet it is kind of like, you know, a Snidely Whiplash cartoon come to life. That's really all I have to say about it, having not seen it in probably 25 years. But what's your take? It's very strange. I mean, I mean. <laughs> And it's not funny. I re- it's not funny, and I don't remember a lot of Hal Needham's comedies are not funny. We actually look at the Cannibal Run films today as, well, are they drinking? Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> these are the drinking crowd, boys. This And, and you know, Hal Needham boys, they're, they're all drinking crowd. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, you mentioned Cannibal Run. Dean Martin and Sammy Davis Jr. were in it. And I think Peter Lawford, too. And Roger Moore and Jackie Chan. You know, mm-hmm. we can go on with that one. The villain is like so Arnold at his like post pumping iron prime physical specimen mm-hmm. as like I don't know Lone Ranger without the mask. He's like Mr. Goody Two Shoes and, and Kirk Douglas, you know, still in good shape. Amazingly, 1979, he was what like 104 by then. <laughs> It's just the fucking guy won't die. It's like the Keith Richards of acting, but Keith Keith will probably still look better. Um, <laughs> I think Kirk just turned 102. Did you ever see the SCTV impression of Kirk Douglas? Where he's all like this every five seconds. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's that's like, yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> anyway, Kirk was like, like the villain guy with this mustache. Yeah, slightly whiplash and all that. And, you know, and Margaret, who we'd probably still do today, right? Yeah. She was a good looker, that's for sure. She was, Yeah, she was a looker. And don't forget, Tommy, you know, covered in <laughs> chocolate and beans. God damn. Yeah. If you're going to fuck any girl in chocolate and beans, that'd be the one. I just remember her making weird noises in the Elvis movie there, Viva Las Vegas. We talked about that recently in our Elvis show. <laughs> yes, we were just out of bed. No, so there you go. So anyway, anyway, it's a very strange movie. I They had trouble marketing at this. I remember the ads in the newspaper which made it very cartoonish and really just worked against it. I don't think it was a hit. No. I think, I personally think this hurt everybody, and which probably explains, like, the same year he, he appeared in another piece of shit movie called uh, <laughs> Scavenger Hunt, which is one of those, like, 
Yo, this is around the cannibal. Yeah, it's like the cannibal run kind of thing, the big boss and shit like that. There was a period where Hollywood was making movies they thought people wanted to see. That's true. Remember the like like let's put forty two stars and you know we're not talking about mainly TV guys. There were some in there as well, but forty two mega stars into a movie about a big bus. Yep. Okay. Or if it's this Tuesday, it must be Belgium or... Scavenger Hunt is the one I was referring to. Yeah. And, and yet there's a lot of these things. There's a lot of them. And, I mean, albeit that being said, uh, the Cannibal Run movies by default turn to be the two most fondly recalled for different reasons. Yeah. But, but I mean, who remembers Scavenger Hunt? I remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, we actually talked about this one during our Roddy McDowell show. Yes, we did. So yes. Suffice to show you that Arnold turns up more or less just a quick gag, like how Meatloaf and the Biker Gang wind up chasing Richard Benjamin at one point. Arnold's a bodybuilder who Tony Randall tries to show off to, winding up at the wrong end of a medicine ball for his hoods. But that's it. He's in there like three minutes if you're lucky. So it's not even worth talking about in that respect. But yeah, I mean, they made so many of these Starfucker films back then. And don't forget all the disaster films. We talked about the Richard Attenborough films, like The Bridge Too Far. Everything in the 70s, and to some extent the 60s, was let's get every out-of-work actor we can find, be they television or film from 40 years ago or whatever, and put them in this thing. Actually, there was another one we talked about in the Connery one, that stupid uh, Murder in the Order Express with Mm. Albert Finney. Finney. Yeah. Whew. What a stinker. So anyway, that's it on this one, unless you got anything more to say about it. Yeah. So he's in the Jane Mansfield story TV movie, playing appropriately enough Mickey Hargitay, who is a much smaller bodybuilder, but it's a good fit. But this really, you know, again, he's floundering around. Other than the documentary, none of the stuff he's made so far has had any impact on anybody. But 1982, actually it's a little bit earlier when they started filming, probably mm-hmm. more like 1980 is when they started working on this originally, Conan the Barbarian. John Milius and Oliver Stone get together and write this thing, and John directs it. And that should say a lot to you right there. I'm probably not the best person to describe this film because I actually saw it in a theater at a rather young age. Having had some rather traumatic experiences and learned to be hard in an environment that people still can't believe when I tell selected true life stories from that era, this film kind of came out of nowhere. There was literally nothing like it or delivering any messages akin to it, much less in such a milieu or with such gravitas and power. It felt so true to my life and experience at the time. It was just like I had instant resonance with this. It resonated so strongly with me that I carried its messages and lines with me for decades with its amazingly propulsive, almost minimalist soundtrack, spruce with powerful orchestral moments and romantic undertones being a mainstay in the collection, from one worn-out cassette to another to eventually on CD. It was actually not a rare thing to hear it blaring out of the old Camaro speakers as I or those women drove around, let's put it that way. Writer Oliver Stone and writer-director John Millis filled this ostensible light entertainment sword and sorcery film with a heavy, grimly realist philosophical bent, so Nietzschean as to positively terrify the decided left-leaning name critics of the era. And it did. They were scared of this film. But it's more than that. It's Hobbesian. It's nihilistic. It shows the world in no uncertain terms, where there's no help to be found from the heavens above or land below, and the only safety or glory is to be found in the strength of one's own strong right hand. That which does not kill us makes us stronger. Gaze into the abyss finds the abyss gazing back into us. And if Crom won't answer our prayers, then to hell with him. It's well-filmed, easily the biggest budgeted, most well-written, and most seriously performed, and let's not mince words, by far the greatest of all sword and sorcery films ever produced. But it's more than that. It's actually a statement about life, except its implications are not. Sandy Bergman, I mean, I met her, that was a major disappointment, but she'll always be Valeria to me. Cassandra Gavin makes a stunning witch-wolf woman during an early sequence. James Earl Jones acts against the young upstart Schwarzenegger as if taken on the equal, and it only makes the film that much stronger. Mako and surfer Jerry Lopez make likable companions. There's a lot of weird Euro stars like 
Jacknut Yuska, Franco Regulars, Louis Barbu, and Jack Taylor. And if you don't know what's behind those walls, you go first. Amazing film. It will always be, if not my favorite film of all time, then easily in the top handful. There's no comparison for me. So, again, I'm probably not the best person to describe this film, but you get the idea of how much attachment it has for me. I remember uh, I interviewed him twice as 15 years. William Smith, who plays Conan's father in this movie, and uh, I said, you tell me about working on this movie. And he said, you know, that really husky, cigarette-ravaged voice? Well, I'll tell you. Here, listen. He recited that monologue that they wrote for him about steel. Mm-hmm. Remember? And it was like, he says, that's been my mantra ever since then. But he thought he said it. What do you want? <laughs> but it's, yeah, it's probably the greatest sword and sorcery film. There's been a few things that kind of get up to that level, but not quite. There's no movie quite like it. Why Milius didn't follow it up or rejoin the crew is mm. a huge mystery. It would have been so cool to see everybody come back. It's, it's a, a terrific movie. There's no movie like this because it has such stuff going on there. I mean, you know, I, it's it's almost hard. You did very well because it's it's almost hard to really describe why is this movie good. And it's just like Arnold's terrific and he was born for this. But he's also born for a couple other pictures. God bless him. Even on set, my understanding is that Melius pushed things and pushed things hard. I mean, Arnold was doing his own stunts and getting hurt. And he was like, no, do it again. Get on the horse and swing that sword, whatever the hell you got to do. And Arnold being a newcomer, more or less, and trying to make his name and make his way, you know, rise above where he had been in this sort of cinematic mm. ghetto, went for it. And he's like, no, you've got to strip down more. You've got to take some of that bulk you've got off as the Austrian oak. And, you know, basically he stripped his weight down to something ridiculous so that he was all lean muscle, basically. And yet he's still huge. And there was a lot of intensive stuff going on for all the actors I've mentioned, but especially in terms of the leads, Jerry Lopez and Sandy Bergman, who took her, she was basically a dancer. She was in all that jazz and things like that. And took that and used that as part of her part, but especially Arnold. Oh my God, I I, I was so taken with her. That for was, years, for years. Yeah, thank you. Oh, thank you. We're, we're together. See, brother? When I met her, I was like, wow, what a letdown. Now, she still looks good. It was just yeah. the personality. She is yeah, not yeah, Valeria. Yeah. I'm like, I'm expecting Valeria. And then I was like, oh, okay, she's just an actress. <laughs> uh, that happened to me. That happened to me, too. Because, because that was not my type of girl. And even even as a fanboy, it wasn't my type of girl. I, you know, I, I was, how old was I when this came out? I don't know, something. And I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, exactly. Then, then, then I had a girl after that. That was like I was looking for that. <laughs> I found it. Yeah, I, I, I found, found some that too. looked like that and a little bit of the personality, but yeah, never quite. <laughs> I, I found it, not the personality, but you know, I was like, get that skinny, well-toned fucking abs showing. Fuck that. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> It'll be a hard show to edit, but anyway, yeah, you can keep it in. Nobody, nobody had no listeners to the show. Anyway. So go. anyway, <laughs> that matters. But no, yeah, I got, I get you because I met her too. And I was like, hey, hi, hello, $65 for a photo. I'm like, oh. <laughs> wow, I'm glad I met her before that. But <laughs> it was nowhere near that, that's what I'll tell you. No, but no, I, I'm exaggerating. I don't know what she was charging. But yeah, she was just kind of like nonplussed. And I'm actually quoting lines from the movie at her, and she's just looking at me like, Oh, another weirdo. 
Well, you know, it's it's sort of like Don the Dragon Wilson. You know, I was like, well, Don the Dragon Wilson, he showed up at his only show here on the East Coast of the U.S. about three years ago, maybe. And I was like, oh, Don the Dragon Wilson, cool, man, cool. And and nobody wanted to set him up with any Q&As. Right then, it should have been a, uh, a hint to me. And I went over to him. He's alone. Nobody's there. No line. That's another signal. I got a big poster. Autographs, 60. Oof. Autographs of your material, 70. Autographs of my material, 80. Picture with you, 100. I'm like, hey, nice to see you. Well, thank you. See you later. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. And you guys had freaking like Tony Curtis even though he was half dead and wasn't charging anything like that. You gotta be kidding me. <laughs> oh yeah, that was sad because I was kind of psyched until I actually actually researched what Tony was like, and he died shortly thereafter. Yeah, you know, he was, not he was really sick. You could tell. Anyway, Conan, great film, must see. It's hard to discuss it, but uh, you did very well. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. So next up, as I mentioned, the. Again, you know, look, we're both lefties here, but there was a very, very left-leaning critical consensus at the time. This was the late 70s going to the early 80s. People like Pauline Kael, for example, people like that that were on like the New York Times and the Chicago Tribune and whatever else, and they were terrified of this message, possibly because of its implications, because everybody thinks Nietzsche immediately, they start thinking World War II. That's not what that was all about, even though it's played into it to some extent. A lot of things played into it. Occultism played into it. Right-wing politics played into it. Mm-hmm. But because of that, they were vehement in their distaste for this film. And at best, they could offer the slightest of grudging appraisals for it. Conan had an audience that was of the fans and of the people. The critics hated it. They savaged it. Mm. And admitted that it was not because the film had problems, not because it was badly directed or badly acted or anything. They just hated the film and what it was saying. So what happened after that... I don't know if the Orentos was even involved. I'm not positive about that. It was. But everybody backed off. And they said, oh, we can't do this again. So Milius was not even offered. I think he had started working on another script. And they're like, no, you're out of here. So what they did was they got a bunch of fucking comic book people. It was terrible. They got this asshole, Richard Fleischer, who destroyed the series. This is the guy that did Boston Strangler, The New Centurions, Soylent Green, Mandingo, The Jazz Singer with Neil Diamond, and Mr. Majestic. So you figure, all right, well, he's got some decent movies in him. Okay, but, yeah, so decent movies, okay, all right. what the fuck? So they do this film, and it's written by Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway. Yeah. Okay, you know, they're okay comic book writers. I got no problem with either one of them. I mean, okay, I met Roy Thomas, too. He's a bit of an asshole. But that aside, I nothing against his work, at least not before the 80s. He certainly wrote a lot of seminal comic series and built some characterizations. He kind of revitalized the X-Men, things like that. Okay, great. But this is just... Really? I mean, you're going to go from this taut, philosophical, deep script that totally, I don't know what, I mean, we just described this, or tried to describe it, and you get this fucking comic book afterwards, like, no, this doesn't work. And not even like, okay, we're trying to be dark and serious comic books, that, that was not a thing yet, this is the early 80s. This was like silly comic books. So, 
All that niche and headiness and hard R boundary pushing absolutely terrified the sort of folks who tried to outpretentious each other at the sort of parties you see in films like Annie Hall with Paul Simon. So they promptly softened things up, bringing in a comedic, light-hearted focus and giving the scripting to comic book authors. While this one benefits from a typically strange if likable Grace Jones performance, a very pretty if petulant Olivia Diablo, and former basketball great Wilt Chamberlain of all people, it's so far removed from the first film as to occupy an entirely different universe. And that comic release sidekick... I don't remember his name. I always want to throw that fucker off a cliff or something. What an <laughs> asshole. I won't say it sucks, given just how many crappy sword and sorcery films came out around the time, but if you're comparing this to the original Conan, this isn't just a piece of shit. It's an abomination. What a terrible movie. And I always bristle when I hear people say, oh, that one was okay. Oh, it was just as good as the original, much less. Like you heard at the time from those same critics. Oh, this is so much better. This is more like what it should be. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I despise this film. <laughs> Um, Alright, the only decent quotations part of this movie is the whole of Mirrors thing. I, th- 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 that yes. worked okay. That's true. That, that worked okay. Yeah, Olivia Diabo was directed or, or decided to play her part. She's like this petulant child. Whiny, yeah. yeah. And, and like, you know, most of the time, you know, Will Chamberlain was like her guy. He was like taking care of her. He was instructed to like, you know, protect her. He just like, Will, take her off the the side and give her some big black cock or something like straighten her out. You know, I you know, just like she'd be okay after that. Yo, know, just like come on. Uh, <laughs> I was just thinking, give her a spanking or something. I mean, she really needed it. She was like a child. <laughs> no, no, they were straight around. I'm sure. I, I haven't been there myself, but from things I hear, so uh, yo, <laughs> and and and. It, it, it's a mess because, you know, this guy has made good movies. Boston Strangler, the movie that made Tony Curtis, all people, a scary motherfucker. Yeah. 2000 Leagues Under the Sea, great film, childhood classic. It's a good movie. He made a lot of good movies. He made, he made a lot of so-so movies. He wasn't a no terror. No. You know, it wasn't like a Sidney Lumet who we name-checked recently for another show who you can identify certain pictures, Sidney Lumet, so you can figure out what you're getting in your package. Fleischer was like a, a journeyman, but uh, he often, more often than not, did good pictures. This, yeah, it was very comic bookish, coming off of the hard-hitting Conan, but they had to do a sequel because actually, despite whatever, it did do well. Mm-hmm. And don't forget, around this time, streaming cable started, HBO Showtime. Mm-hmm. And so these, you know, Conan the Barbarians rerun at Infinitum, and, and people were checking in on this, like, what is this? Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. So back in those days, if people watched something enough, why do you think there's so many Rambo pictures? Thank God HBO. Why do you think there's so you know there was there, there was a Conan sequel? I think it wasn't if not for HBO back in the day, there probably wouldn't wouldn't have been greenlit. Yep. But uh, yo, know, this is back then. Entirely horrible. No. Enjoyable. Partially. Could it have been better? Much. Well, you think of that the sidekick, the comic relief guy. You know, you know, man, I, I, <laughs> no, I asked the other thing. What is up with this? I have not seen a Blu-ray for either one of these pictures. The ad- adequately is a good representation of a nice Blu-ray release of these pictures. I had to go get a picture, a copy from Mexico <laughs> to get a decent Blu-ray. That's how bad that even Universal even thought of these pictures. Wow. They, they're just, you know... Universal Blu-ray is crap anyway, because I got the Conan one, and I swear to God, you plug it in, and you think your TV busted, because it takes like five minutes for the damn thing to load up. It's like a black screen, 
And then oh, yeah, 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 I had that too. Yeah, That's well, why the Mexico one is better, the Mexican one. Don't ask. I looked on eBay. <laughs> but, but, but next is... Well, next he does pretty much the film that for a lot of people made him. I don't understand why, but okay. James Cameron does The Terminator, where Pumping Iron brought attention to Arnold in the world of bodybuilding per se, and Conan got people interested in the man as an actor. Here's the film that pushed him into being an A-lister pretty much overnight. And it's strange, because he has very few lines and precious little to do here. The first is several times James Cameron crossed swords with Arnold. He's a little more than the robot baddie from the future who's out to take down future revolutionary Linda Hamilton of Beauty and the Beast with Ron Perlman fame and prevent her from even having her neo esque son and figurehead of the resistance movement. It was a cool conceited at the time, before it got co-opted by dozens of Italian and futuristic cyborg kickboxing films over the subsequent decade, but while still watchable, it plays out a bit quiet if not somewhat lacking these days, unless you really need to see Arnold walking around bare-assed and prolific baddie Brian Thompson dressed up like a punk rocker for about 15 seconds. Very influential, but very much of its time. I was tired of the hype surrounding it after seeing it for the first time, forget about all these years later. I don't think it holds up as well as you might remember. Uh, it's okay. It's it's of its time. At uh, I saw it in a theater of its time. It was, it was well. There's a couple of pictures we we got going that in the theater they when they were new and fresh they they played like great fun. Hey, there's a lot of great fun. But holding up, they don't hold up so well. And the first Terminator, somebody might say influential or epic or groundbreaking. Maybe. It depends on how you look at it. He's fit for the role, scaled down. I mean, Cameron's known as Taskmaster, so we all know about this. I mean, he, he marries all his female leads, and then they fucking divorce him afterwards because they're like, he's a fucking pain in the ass. But <laughs> I like this. I think the... Aside from Jamie Lee in Halloween, this was like... It's been done. But this was the second time I was so behind a female lead, just like really taking angst and fucking fear and, and turning that into some kind of self-support. Uh, Linda Hamilton did a great job in this, but she takes it to cycle levels in the sequel. Yeah, I thought she was tapping into Sigourney Weaver's uh, performance in Alien, possibly, but you, you got a point with Jamie Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that too, but yeah, possible, but I think... The feral, because she, she, for the majority of this film... She's running scared. I, yeah, she's running scared, you know. And Michael Bean is like this, just like, I don't know, surfer dude from the future. Like, <laughs> and he has a tough time convincing anybody that I was sent from the future to help fight this beast of a robot. Yeah, thanks, surfer dude. <laughs> I like the guy, you know, and... and, and Deeply, you know, you mentioned Sandel before, deeply disappointed when I met him. So disappointed. <laughs> because he could give a shit. Yeah. But uh, it turned out that one day in Jersey City, I go to the corner to buy cigarettes and I'm in the Indian deli. And who's online is Michael Bean. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, excuse me, are you Michael Bean? Uh, yeah, I am. How could you know? Uh, you're Michael Bean. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing here? I'm visiting, you know, whatever the fuck it was. Like, hey, man, cool. He was nice there than in a, con a convention milieu. But very disappointed when I first met him. I don't know. But all the problems with this film, I will admit to it being a very important film in sci-fi. Yeah. Uh, 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 dumb. Sci-fi dumb or whatever. <laughs> 
Uh, Arnold's good. Robotic is has to be. Is supposed to be. Little Hamilton again. Had it start you know who is this girl you so almost brought back the Santel bergman thing for me for a minute i'm like oh i kind of like this girl uh michael bean you know it's like he was goodness yeah lance henriksen who worked for cameron a lot after this was the uh, the la uh, police lieutenant who gets slaughtered along with i think paul winfield and a bunch of others this is a slaughterhouse movie which they amp up quite often in the sequels but uh I like it. I, I don't dislike it. And we'll get back to Terminator in a little while. Yeah. So next up, uh, <laughs> the same schmuck who screwed up the Conan sequels drafted once again to even lesser result. So once again, this is Red Sonia, Richard Fleischer. Once again, written by Roy Thomas, but he's uncredited. Schwarzenegger cast off Brigitte Nielsen, yet to get involved with Stallone and finally Dolph Lundgren, gets the central role in the only attempt made at capturing this much-beloved comic character, who originated in the Conan comic, not with Robert E. Howard, and was developed into something more quirky and sexual by that old pervert illustrator Frank Thorne. Well, you get almost none of what makes Red Sonja Red Sonja in this complete piece of shit, which puts obnoxious brat, quote, Prince Ernie Reyes Jr. front and center, as Schwarzenegger gets downgraded to sidekick, Sandy Bergman serves as the evil queen, and weird Euro stars like Ronald Lacey and Janet Agron show up, but none of them can save her from sinking under its own severely misguided weight. Bridget Nielsen almost sinks this one all by her lonesome, and with Ernie Reyes Jr., this one's dead on arrival. What's your take? Yeah, it didn't work. Obviously, I have to say, obviously, I think Conan Destroyer actually probably did more coin, as he used to say, the trades, than Conan the Barbarian. So if it made more money, you know, what's the thing? And Red Sonja, Bridget Nielsen, who we all know was Stallone's girl. He was passed all around between that group. (laughs) I wasn't going to go there, but... uh, (laughs) Come on, she was involved with every one of them, one to the other. Schwarzenegger pushed her off on Stallone. Stallone marries her. She leaves him. She goes with uh, Dolph Lundgren. He dumps her for Grace Jones. I mean, <laughs> yeah, can you imagine that? Grace Jones must be great in bed or something. Man. Wow. Grace Jones, I gotta admit, there's something about her that's really intense. I mean, not just her music, which I love, but you ever see her in Vamp? Yeah, yeah. Do, yeah. Don't you think Grace Jones' blowjob would probably suck the life out of you? Like I believe that. Horse? I believe yeah, I that. Think, I think that. That one's yeah. intense. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I can see golf going like, holy shit. Yeah. Pull up to the bumper, baby. <laughs> well, that too. But we're yeah, not going same. there. This is not the anal sex show. Sorry, folks. Hey, that's one of her songs. I'm just saying that. <laughs> uh, yeah. mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, getting back to Red Sonja. I, I, this is going to be one of our great shows here. <laughs> getting back to Red Sonja. He's uh, joking. Don't choke. <laughs> It was weak. It was really disappointing. I think I saw it in the theater. I saw it numerous times on home box office. <laughs> Back in I know I saw it in the theater because I was with my father because my father not only loved Howard films, uh, you know, Howard yeah, books rather, yeah. but he loved Red Sonja. That was one of his favorite characters. Did he really? He oh, yes. Not the movie. Oh, okay. Well, probably because he picked up on how sexual the whole thing was with Frank Thorne there. Okay, fine. But... Holy shit, we went to the theater and we were flabbergasted. He was like, wow, that was awful. And he didn't even admit that Conan the Destroyer was awful. He admitted this one was awful immediately. He was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> I, I have to say, Red Sonja sucks. Um, yeah. And the next c- couple of, uh, we're going to discuss these. Well, you know, he had a run, man. But yes. then he kind of he kind of tapers off. He has to run for about 10 years. But 
the next until we get to you know T2, but the next couple of pictures, all is like the man. Yes, this was his what he was known for. Yeah. But the, these these pictures are like hit and miss, bouncing off mm-hmm. all over the place, like Commando. Yes, that's exactly my experience with these things. Mm. Commando, directed by Mark Lester, who did Children in Little Tokyo with Brandon Lee and Dolph Lundgren. Which is fun. If you yeah. have not seen that, go see it. It's fantastic. But it's much better than you would think it would be. But, all right, Arnold scores another win with this one-liner film action film where he's a retired Special Forces man whose team has been systematically bumped off, and he's next on the list. When his annoying daughter, Alyssa Milano, who, like a lot of single father-daughter relationships, winds up weirdly serving his de facto wife, cook, etc., gets kidnapped by some sleazebag terrorist types, he gets blackmailed into working an assassination for them. Of course, he's too smart and tough for them, so he winds up pulling some fancy stunts to get off the plane before it lands, scoring Tommy Chong's daughter and flight attendant Ray Dawn as a de facto partner and robbing a militia's worth of hardware and ammo along the way. From here, he's on the run from the cops and the crooks, and it's only a matter of time till he's impaling the head baddie on a busted steam pipe, quipping rather Freddy Krueger-esque lines like, letting off some steam, and building to an unlikely happy ending. The girls are the most annoying in action film history, particularly... Particularly the whining, (laughs) incessantly shrieking, and nearly worthless Ray Dawn Chong. And the film's pretty slight, and it's no surprise it was scripted by a third-rate DC Comics author. Hi, Jeff Loeb. But it's typical Arnold Fair. This sort of violent, quip-filled light entertainment is what he made his name on, for better or worse. Yeah, I I agree. Bernard Wells, who was a feral feral powerhouse and road warrior you know suddenly got a huge name and they were signing him up for stuff and this was like his first huge stateside picture so he was the villain against you know Arnold's John Matrix hey it was before the Matrix yeah he's a villain he's okay he's a little lumpin and definitely the Aussie accents out there and he's like a former cohort and y'all they're trying to make a do of whatever they got going on and he's their main villain give or take the violence is good it's primal it's a little raw but i i felt that in the hands of a better director or orchard it could it could have done much better could have been much better it's not horrible it's definitely an of its time film i mean i i wouldn't steer anyone away from watching commando because uh, I remember me and a buddy, we went out to uh, Queens Midland Park or someplace like that back in the days when, like, multiplex was like a strip mall and the theater sc- theater screens were really small. Mm-hmm. It was, like, so depressing as it was. Like, all the old fucking <laughs> Jew ladies, you know, like, with the purple hair, like, What are you watching, <laughs> Irving? I don't know. Shut up. And then it would be like, well. um, And then this movie would come on and it would be like, it's not bad. It's all right. You know, it's all right. That was great. It's Arnold. It's all right. Yeah. I mean, the worst thing I ever had, I remember when, when I went to see some place in Brooklyn, Blade Runner, the first one, and it was like me, one of my many ex-wives, I can't remember, I have so many, and mm. we went to see Blade Runner. It was like this, this old couple in the row before us. Of course, they came and sat before us. The whole theater's empty. Like, I hate this movie, Every. I don't know what the hell this is about. So... <laughs> Yeah, you know, that happens back in the day. But, uh, you know, Commando, for what it is, it's, I thought it was better than Raw Deal. Yeah, that's the thing. All right, so this one here, Raw <laughs> Deal. 
directed by John Irvin, who did Hamburger Hill. Now, if you've ever seen Hamburger Hill, you know what to expect. It's a much darker film than you'd expect from Schwarzenegger. This one may have been something of an ill fit for him, given how poorly it went over at the time, and how forgotten it's become in the annals of film history. But, hey, it was cool enough for us to write an instrumental dedicated to it around 89, so there you go. We have that. Arnold is an ex-FBI man who more or less pulled a Connery in the offense and went up downgraded to a small-town sheriff out in the boondocks as a result. His wife's a crazy lush, and he's trying to make the best of things until a visibly aged Darren McGavin shows up, trying to recruit him to infiltrate and take down the monsters that killed his son. This results in a good hour plus of Schwarzenegger with his hair slicked back, working backroom casinos, and trying to sell himself as an up-and-comer looking for a good seat in the Chicago mob. His hooker girlfriend, Catherine Harold, whose credits include such oddities as Nightwing, Yes, Giorgio, and Into the Night, I love Yes, Giorgio, it's so awful, uh, <laughs> doesn't buy his act, but winds up becoming an ally of sorts, until the whole thing goes sour and the bodies start to pile up. You know, I, I just gotta. We'll never talk about yes, Giorgio. Otherwise, have you ever seen this thing? <laughs> I don't see us doing Pavarotti shows. Yeah, there. Luciano Pavarotti, with the voice of a generation. I mean, you had Caruso, you had Mario Lanza, you had Luciano Pavarotti. There's been nobody since. This guy, at the height of his fame and the height of his girth. Gets this film that's supposed to be a romantic comedy, yes, Georgia, and he's supposed to be not only an opera singer but you know an Italian chef, of course, with that girth. And he's romancing this girl who's also his agent, which is kind of nepotistic, but all right. And at the end, they fly away in a balloon. And all I remember about this, other than being funny, because it's I actually got a copy of it from like one of those Warner Archive jobs, just because it's so hilarious, it's bad. Was somebody did a review of it in uh, probably the New York Times, and yes, Giorgio, and the only line I said was. No Luciano. That was it. <laughs> it's really, really bad and really funny. It's kind of like on the level of Under the Rainbow, but you don't have to worry about offending midgets with it. <laughs> so anyway, bloody pretty grim and with the likes of Robert Davi in the cast. We're talking Raw Deal, not uh, yes, Georgia. That might have made it better. Uh, <laughs> you have to figure this one was influenced by folks like Scorsese. So why pick good-natured, quip-spouting, walking comic book lunk Arnold Schwarzenegger for the role? I mean, it's not a bad film at all, but hardly a typical Schwarzenegger film. Yeah, it it doesn't work because it seems to be a schizophrenic affair. Yeah, I hate to, I hate to like, uh, you know, like what's 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 that saying? Like the sum doesn't equal up to the portions, whatever it is. But this is not a bad movie. It's an odd movie. It's a strange movie. It's probably a film I would recommend for reassessment. It's, it's, it's certainly different and interesting cast I think they're asking Arnold to do more than he's capable of doing at this point in time well even now I don't think he could pull that off that was a strange role for him mm. so next up he does Predator which is much beloved in one of his pinnacle films in terms of you know, at least the popular culture mm. perspective it's directed by John McTiernan who is also famous for the Die Hard films Hunt for Red October and Last Action Hero <laughs> Anyway, uh, one of the more enduring classic action films of his era, and one of Arnold's best, this is a weird crossover between the sort of Vietnam War film that was so prevalent at the time, and science fiction horror, which was a little bit earlier in the 80s. Arnold and a team of special ops guys are sent into one of those black ops scenarios in Central America to rescue some hostages from Contras or Sandinistas, or wherever the fuck it is this week. Along the way, they run afoul of an intergalactic nasty who's only on Earth for a hunting expedition, and what he hunts is humans, ripping their heads off and pulling out their spines Mortal Kombat style as trophies. Finish him. There's not a lot of plot to this one, just a shitload of dirty, swamp-traversing jungle action as green hell, while they fight a nearly invisible ugly monster 
are sort of akin to the mature alien, but with space-age weaponry and tech on its side. It's pretty cool, and it always was, particularly with a G.I. Joe in the 70s-style team of likable muscle-bound lumps like Action Jackson, Carl Weathers, future Senator Jesse the Body Ventura, Bill Duke, and Sonny Landham traipsing around with Arnold, getting picked off one by one. Just be sure to check your brain at the door and let the testosterone flow. Oh, it's just a likable fucking movie. Yeah. Saw it way back when, see it periodically. It's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, testosterone's the name of the game, boys and girls, because... This is a bunch of big guys with big balls. I don't know if they got big dicks. I don't know. But it's, it's, it's. <laughs> but, Let me spit out something again. <laughs> but, you know, it's, 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 it's fun. It's the first, followed by a second really weird sequel with Danny Glover, which actually sort of works. And, and yeah, there's not bad. And even Alien vs. Predators, we're not going to ever discuss that beside that. No, let's not. <laughs> and the last one, which actually could have been good, but I hear studio interference kind of screwed it up. But it being said, the first one was a lot of fun. The last half hour, maybe 40 minutes, has no dialogue. And it's like Arnold doing like Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now. It's like... Of course, we're the most dangerous game. Or even so, yes. He's in the mod. It's fucking fearsome. I mean, I think Arnold is an actor. Because remember, it's not always about your lines. As an actor, he was really, really pushed in this picture to physically do shit that a lot of people would never ask an actor to do. Yep. And he fucking did it. It's amazing. Uh, that last 15, 20, 30 minutes of this movie is like crazy. And again, why is that Arnold acts with like skinny chicks that make you make you long for them. I mean, what's her name in this picture? She was like, ooh, what's that? Well, whoever it was. <laughs> she was hot. Yeah, yeah. But I will say that you're right about that last half hour because aside from Conan itself, it's Arnold is most primal. I mean, this becomes a primal struggle between hunter and hunted or, if you will, a Nietzsche struggle of wills between two hunters. Elipidia Carrillo. I know who, but yeah. still. She looked good. That's all that matters. <laughs> nah, she was good. She was good. She was just, just, she was very good. No shit. Serious. I'm being serious now. She's very good as this, like, contra rebel who's, like, fighting everybody and, you know, just trying to get Santanistas, remember that whole time period? Mm -hmm. Trying to get things going for her country. And then, like, here, because, like, big, bulky white guys coming and blowing shit up and killing her people. And then he's, like, a space alien. <laughs> so she doesn't know what the fuck is going on, you know, and, and Arnold and Cole Weathers are smoking big-ass cigars, but, like, yep. I wouldn't put it in my mouth because it looks like I don't want to talk about it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> they were big cigars, man, it's like, I don't know what's up with that, it's a thing, but, all <laughs> oh, those love the cigars, <laughs> yeah, well, there's a big cigar thing. Thick, long cigars. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, <laughs> Where's Freud when you need him? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, did you notice a lot of that in this movie? Sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, as he once said. What was the uh, Magritte saying? Sit and peep <laughs> for the pipe. <laughs> no, no, like this, this close-ups of like these bristly, sweaty biceps, right? <laughs> Jesse Ventura's like, I ain't got time to bleed. You know, it's like, okay... <laughs> but this 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 is a classic whatever the fuck machismo, machismo action film sci-fi it's good 
I, I give it a 10 out of just like being a what the fuck kind of movie it is. It's good. Not not giving kudos to the distributor of this movie and producer of this movie. All these fucking years cannot find a good, nice grain print of this to put out there on Blu-ray or a high def. I mean, we've gotten really, really bad prints of this picture for consumers. And, you know, guys, you got you made like 20 sequels to this movie. You can't give us a good print of this. Major studios, they don't care. Yeah, that being said, Predator is good. So, next up, he does a film that's not so good, but people still seem to remember fondly for some reason that baffles me. The Running Man, directed by Paul Michael Glazer. Yes, you heard that right. Starsky, who also directed Shaq and Kazam. That's about it. Written by Stephen King as Richard Bachman. Overblown Stephen King adaptation, directed by none other than Starsky of Starsky and Hutch fame. The one that never really made anything of himself, at least if you consider a starring role in the Selms Lot miniseries and a 70s soft rock music career, making something of yourself. Hello, David Saul. Because Hutch did that. Starsky, Jack Shit. He directed Shaq and Kazam. How's that for an achievement? Of the many films discussed tonight, this is one of the few that never made its way into my collection. I turned down a chance to see it in the theaters and was kind of nonplussed by it when I did see it on HBO not long after. It's surprisingly prescient for all that, being yet another take on the human capacity for the schadenfreude of the Roman arena, particularly when Republican or Orwellian left types take over and fuck society into a tightly controlled, free speech eschewing and impoverished totalitarian state. Hmm, why does that sound familiar? Anyway, these criminals are shunted onto live TV, criminals in quotes, where they get to die at the hands of these super comic booky baddies with gimmicks, while game show host Richard Dawson, formerly of Family Feud and Hogan's Heroes, presides over the ring, quote, games. Of course, being hopeful despite his dystopian tone, in the end it turns out the resistance is holed up in the middle of this murder zone, and they expose the truth about supposed past winners to shock the general public into shutting down both games and government. In reality, as we now know, they'd shrug, call it a conspiracy of fake news, and don their MAGA hats and tiki torches to keep show up and running. More interesting for its stunt casting, which includes the likes of Mick Fleetwood, Jim Brown, Dweezil Zappa, and Jesse the Body Ventura. But yeah, it kind of sucks. I, you know, it's this movie you want to like. There's, there's a lot of people that like this movie. Yes, it is prescient. Actually, there are some good things about the film, but the direction's flat. Yeah. The, the effects are flat. It takes yep. a while to get going for some strange reason. It seems to just be a flat affair. Richard Dawson, who from Hogan's Heroes, was a game show host, really well known at the time. I don't know if he was like doing that thing with with Bob Crane. Remember Bob Crane? No. Oh yes, yes. We know law. <laughs> but look it up. I'm not going to go into those details. Lascivious as they seem. Um, <laughs> Richard Dawson was known for being, um, at least in a straight sense, very lascivious. So yeah. <laughs> Remember him coming yeah. out to all those women on the shows? Yeah. yeah you can yeah, get away with yeah, that yeah. now. So, yeah. Probably grabbing their asses on air. Yeah, very popular <laughs> game show host, if not like, uh, you know, he tried movies. He was in a couple of pictures, but, you know, usually supporting or sub-supporting. So, it's, to be honest, it's a movie I want to hate more, but I can't because there's some charming things going on in there. And, uh, you know, it's just, funnily enough, or oddly enough, the Italian filmmakers took this idea and they made like 42 pictures based on this movie. Yes, but they were all better. And they're all better. <laughs> yes. And then Arnold's not in any of them. Yeah. Usually like, you know, Sergio Asperinti, also known as Mark Gregory, or Uskime Kostio, also Steve James. Not that Steve James. And, you know, it was like a weird fucking... 
countries from God knows where riffing on this movie and copying it and 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 making more fun versions shot in the Bronx usually. I kid you not. Because <laughs> the true. Bronx the Bronx in the mid to late eighties was like as fucked up as it is now. No oh, hasn't changed. I got caught coming over the bridge one time, and I had to make, do a quick turnaround, mm. and I hit a crater that fucked up my car totally. It was actually, like, the last legs of my car. It, the thing was supposedly a pothole. You had to see this thing. It must have been, oh, jeez, I don't know, four foot wide and probably ten feet deep. It was crazy. Like, how the hell do you have this on a ramp getting the fuck out of the Bronx? Yeah, nice area. <laughs> oh, my, my greatest memory of the Bronx is uh, the white boys went on a skiing trip. What do we know? We wanted to go to the ski resort. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, I got in trouble over this. Don't, don't ask. So I, I met this girl. Yeah, I know. Anyway, so we drove back, and we ran out of gas, and then the guy driving got lost. We ended up in the South Bronx, which is like like in the movies. Mm-hmm. And we were like, hey, do you know where there's a gas station? Well, uh, you guys don't want to be here. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I actually had a cop tell me because I'm like, where the fuck? How do we get out of this place? And I stop. I'm like, well, okay, there's all like really, really unsavory types everywhere, all like staring right at you. I'm like, oh look, there's a cop there. How the fuck do I get out of here, please? <laughs> and he's looking at me, you know, a Spanish guy. He's like, man, what are you doing here? <laughs> and he actually said that to me. <laughs> I'm like trying to get out. How do I get out of here? So yeah, it's really bad area. Mm. What you see in those movies was not exaggerated. The Warriors and all that shit, forget it. <laughs> yeah, the only, the only thing exaggerating about the Warriors was gangs did not look like that, folks. I have to tell you. <laughs> well, the baseball guys certainly not. <laughs> the makeup. <laughs> okay, Red Heat is next. Yes, yeah, so next up, Red Heat, directed by Walter Hill, who did, by the way, The Warriors, Streets of Fire, and Crossroads. It's a semi-successful buddy cop film. It closely resembles, in a weird way, its homonym, Dead Heat, which was a much more fun film involving one partner becoming a zombie. It's worth seeing if you haven't seen it. Sadly, this one only involves Arnold playing a stiff-ass Russian KGB type, whose partner with, of all people, Jim Belushi, as the local wisecracking Chicago cop. It's the second time Arnold's stuck in a Chicago-based film, whatever that was all about, trying to bring a Russian drug lord back home to stand trial, but it turns into the expected midnight run slash 48-hour scenario. The expected humor or lack thereof centers on just how much of a pole Arnold has up his ass and the fish-out-of-water business that his background entails. Problem is, it's too dark, particularly if you compare it to things like, you know, Running Scared, Lethal Weapon, or 48 Hours. It's not a great movie, but it's typical of the type and fairly entertaining. Lawrence Fishburne is one of the cops that gets a reasonable share of the screen time. Gina Gershon shows up for a scene or two looking pretty good, but it's really all about Arnold and Belushi. I definitely have some affection for this film, however it may sound, but not a great one. Uh, I, you know what? I can't add anything to what you already said. Yeah, you kind of hit it on the, on the head there. Next up, he does Twins. Directed by Ivan Reitman, who did things like Cannibal Girls, Meatballs, Stripes, Ghostbusters, you get the idea. Future Mrs. John Travolta, Kelly Preston, is young and smoking hot enough to remind me why I used to have a thing for blondes. In this first of three cheesy comedies Arnold would do with Ivan Reitman, created in a lab, Arnold's supposed to be all the good genes from a bunch of scientists and athletes, with DeVito all the junk. <laughs> Imagine how that role was to fell for him. And 99% of the supposed humor here is everyone's utter disbelief that the two of them could possibly be related, much less 
twins. Of course, DeVito's a street-level hustler, and Arnold's so naive as to come off log-stupid, though he's supposed to be very intelligent at seldom shows. But you get the idea. It's a typically bad mainstream Hollywood comedy of its era. Certainly very watchable at the time of release, but without the longevity of appeal that similar fare like John Hughes films or something like Beverly Hills Cop or Trading Places or even My Cousin Vinny managed to pull off, but still working in that general ballpark. Unless you're really desperate to see every Schwarzenegger film or really want to see Kelly Preston when she was still a real stunner, you can pass on this one. Much less the comedies that follow just don't even hold a candle to this one. I saw this, and, uh... <sighs> it's charming, and, and it's... That they're even contemplating a follow-up now is <laughs> just beyond me. Yeah. But, hey, you know, like, shit happens... Yeah, it's it's. You could waste your time worse by watching something other than this. I would put it that way. It's 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 a definitely a time capsule movie. But two huge Hollywood stars mm-hmm. at their their peak era. Neither one of them turned into bad performances. It's a frivolous comedy that a bunch of Hollywood people did a lot of blow and they came up with the story. That's about it. <laughs> So next up, there's Total Recall, mm. uh, which was directed by Paul Verhoeven. It's actually from a Philip K. Dick story with Dan O'Bannon from Alien working on it. Arnold tries out the sci-fi again to much better results. This time he's in a Philip K. Dick story about memory implants as a method to neutralize the resistance in a power struggle on Mars. Arnold's a construction worker on Earth who keeps having weird dreams of an entirely different life on Mars, which include a different wife from his girl Sharon Stone. Turns out this is true, and he's part of the aforementioned resistance. Or is he? Yeah, this one's got some major twists and turns before you hit the end, and it's a pretty good thrill ride along the way. There's a lot of money spent on this film, and thankfully a fair portion of it shows in the sets, which come off somewhere between Blade Runner and Outland. I saw this one theatrically, and it was like a live-action roller coaster ride. A bit much, even, but surprisingly intense, fast-paced, and fascinating. And, you know, Rachel Ticotten and, believe it or not, Sharon Stone were pretty hot in this one. I like this film. I like this too. I like this too. I think Arnold was really coming into. He's working hard now with his lines. He's working harder, and 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 his line readings, and he's understanding. Well, you know, Paul Verhoeven's the director, so I'm sure he he pushed him. So you know, he's understanding his role, which is very intricate, very complicated. Yes, it is. And, and it's not a uh, you know, it's not your Coney Island thrill ride that you think it is. It's it's a very intricate movie. It's a lot of fun. It's got quite a few familiar faces in it. And yeah, Sharon Stone's hot. The other chick is hot. And I mean, some of the effects are really good for the time. And some of the effects are a little cheesy, but it's a nice kind of mixture of the both. Mm -hmm. I liked it. I always do. And it's good if you haven't seen it for a number of years and you go back to it. As the movie, yeah, I saw this, and you're like, oh, it's a lot, a lot more fun than I thought it would be. It's, I highly recommend this. So next up, uh, Kindergarten Cop, another writing film. Here's where the man begins to stumble with the second of three Reitman collaborations, to be followed by the execrable junior, and worse, the non-Reitman jingle all the way, which is all but unwatchable, and should be used as part of the torture regiment at Gitmo. Mm. Schwarzenegger and kids, enough said. <laughs> Yeah, I, can, I guess we can cover all those movies at once. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> he's a superstar now. Yeah. And so everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people are doing very well with these kids' movies now. You know, like the kid left home by the parents, the kid without a parent, the kid who was fucked by a parent, whatever the story is. <laughs> and, and the school class, teacher, whatever, blah, 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 blah. 
and it's very popular in this time period. We're talking 88 to 94. There's just another one. Yep. And he was a cop, and, you know, he's investigating some shit. He's a kindergarten teacher undercover. Arnold actually charms his way through this movie. I will say that. I will say that. It's it's really uh, redeemed by the fact that his performance is watchable. Can you believe that? In this piece of shit movie. So <laughs> I will say that. That being said, a lot of the movies you name check where he's playing this kind of similar role are not very good. Oh. This is probably the best of the batch. Of yeah, that. if you want to jump ahead to those, Junior, again, I'm Reitman, third and worst of the Reitman films, once again with Danny DeVito. This time, Arnold's actually a scientist who impregnates himself. A weird cast, which include Danny DeVito, Emma Thompson, Frank Langella, Dracula, and Judy Collins, the folk singer. Can't save this one. And Jingle All the Way, Brian Levant was the director. I actually wrote, oh my god. If you want my opinion on what is hands down the worst film Schwarzenegger ever made, this is it. Is that he's the a henpecked father. Sinbad, right? Yes. He's a henpecked father desperate to get his brat kid the hot toy of the season for Christmas, and much chaos ensues. It's a family film. It's got Sinbad in it. It's so terrible, you'll wish you could scrub your mind out with soap to wash every vestige of it away after washing. <laughs> and that's all I have to say about those two. How about you? Oh, I agree, I agree. I'm glad we tackle them all in one bash. <laughs> all right, so... Going back again to where we started with the writing films here with Kindergarten Cop and Twins. Next up is oof, another stinker. Last Action Hero, directed by John McTiernan again. But I think I think you skipped T2. Uh, yes, I did. You're right. I actually, that's another one where I have nothing to say because I had a chance to go see that with some buddies. And I'm like, I didn't really care that much for the original Terminator. This one looks like it was when they started the CG special effects. That was actually the CG movie that popularized that stuff. And I'm like... This doesn't look right to me. I don't care. Go ahead and you know, let me know how it is. And they came back bragging about it, but I never actually watched it. I, like, yeah, I don't care. It's, it's me <laughs> catching my breath. That is a classic film. Really? Yeah, my co-host never saw this movie. Yeah! <laughs> NT3, I never saw that one either. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, I saw that. But... <laughs> T2 is a classic film. I highly recommend anybody who never saw it to see it, including you. Um, it takes the ideas behind the first one and a bunch of other things. It's almost like T1 didn't exist. Pop culture references, uh, blues rock, big sculpted men with naked abs and big asses. Um <laughs> Also, it deals with a lot of stuff like PTSD syndrome, which we never paid attention to at the time. Like, Linda Hamilton's totally feral in this because apparently she's been locked up since the first one because they thought she was a fucking nut. And she's been locked up in a sanitarium. I think the only drawback here is Eddie Furlong, apparently now a heroin act or some bullshit like that, who's now doing the convention circuit because you got paid for your fucking drugs. Um... <laughs> I kid you not. As the annoying son of Linda Hamilton and Michael Bean from the first picture, it's good. It's good. There's some crazy-ass fucking stuntsness. It's crazy. Uh, Arnold's magnificent in this picture, I think. That's why I think you should watch it. He's magnificent as this steely yet very sympathetic cybernetic organism. 
Yeah, that's what I heard. That the Terminator was the good guy this time. There's an evil Terminator. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. Well, there's the thing, though. There's a reason why this happens. And I would, I would say why we both agreed very much on the first picture. I would suggest to you and to others, if you also feel this way, to watch the first one, then watch this one. Because it works. It really works. And I could see why Cameron, which I guess we're going to be seeing the trailer any day now. We're recording this on March 3rd. 2019, we're, we're expecting to see the trailer for the new one any day now, where they're reuniting everybody. I can see where they where they want to go with this. So I really suggest you watch this, and then we could take a look at it. Maybe okay. Another show or something else, and we could do a Linda Hamilton show. Mm. <laughs> uh, but Arnold does a couple of missteps for about two years, two or three years, until he gets to the movie with Jamie. Yeah. Anyway, well, next. All right, so John McTiernan, who had done Predator, which was obviously great. Yeah. He's done the Die Hard. Die Hard. Great, okay, Hunt for Red October, well, whatever. Uh, but he comes back, and he really kind of trips over his own two feet with The Last Action Hero. Truly painful stinker that quite appropriately tanked at the box office. The annoying little kid from The Lawnmower Man returns as the leading role here, as Arnold and classy art house names like F. Murray Abraham, Anthony Quinn, Joan Plowright, and Ian McKellen slum their way through this shitstorm of metafiction and commentary on violence in action films. A Willy Wonka for film geeks? This kid gets a golden ticket from a bloated Art Carney and winds up getting sucked into one of his favorite action Heroes films, and then the characters escape into the real world and back again. This is something of a shtick at the time with Cool World and Roger Rabbit. And sure enough, there's a cartoon cat in this voice by Danny DeVito, but both of those other movies are at least watchable, something this one really is not. Arnold does his best going around calling himself Arnold Braunschweiger and running into low-rent contemporaneous celebs like <laughs> for this list of great celebrities they got. Entertainment Weekly's Lisa Gibbons, MC Hammer, Duff from MTV, whatever happened to these losers, and Melvin Van Peebles, Chevy Chase, and his future wife, Maria Shriver, but it's all got a very off feel to it. It doesn't work as an action film. It doesn't work as a fantasy, much as a children's film. I mean, what kids film has so much realistic violence, however implied? And it sure as fuck isn't funny on any level. About the best you get is the trailer for the action remake of Hamlet, which comes off as, oh, isn't that clever, but won't even bring a mild smile to your face. Yet another Hollywood brain trust coke binder affair where you have to sit back and wonder, what the fuck were they snorting? This is a prime example of what you probably notice in so many of these shows where actors and genres we love suddenly peter off into trash once you start getting into the 90s when the film industry all went corporate mainstream. It all got pretty damn worthless en masse too sweet. Case in point. It was a massive, massive disappointment to a lot of people because McTiernan, John McTiernan, the director, you know, come off some really mm-hmm. good movies at Arnold's, you know, Arnold's come off some really good movies, and everybody's like, they're promoting this as like the ultimate fucking action movie. This young boy, and a movie star comes off the screen into real life. Okay, I could buy that, you know, in ideology. It's a fucking train wreck. First of all, the movie has no rhythm, it has no pace, and I, I have to say, you kind of kind of like drop something there maybe inconsequentially to yourself it feels like like a hollywood coke session idea of an action mm-hmm. film it really does it feels like hey i got an idea for a movie <laughs> yeah that sounds cool well who do it all right give me some more lines man <laughs> i remember those days so anyway um that being said 
it was a huge. It was a bomb. It killed the careers of a lot of people. Yes. But it didn't up him because he was still too big. Yep. Uh, as a star, it could have. I think if Arnold Schwarzenegger was maybe forty percent less of a star than he was at this time, it could have could have really, really seriously derailed his career for a while. Well, it came close. It came uh, close, but McTiernan pretty much killed his career, and then he did something stupid, too. So next up, he actually goes back with James Cameron, but it's not for a Terminator film, uh, True Lies. So we come to a yet another James Cameron film, and honestly, that's kind of the biggest problem with this one. Like a Mission Impossible film without the thrills, or more pointedly, Mr. and Mrs. Smith without the highly sexual overtones, this glossy-looking but rather boring and overblown spy film concerns Arnold with a family leading a double life as a secret agent. Eventually, his problems wind up hitting home, and he has to confess to his wife what he really does for a living. In the end, she becomes a spy, too, and they all live happily ever after. There's a lot of big, odd names in this one, like Tom Arnold, Bill Paxton, Tia Carrere, Eliza Dushku from Buffy, Charlton Haston, for God's sakes. But it was done so, so much better. It was so much more likable with Pitt and Jolie than here with Arnold and Jamie Lee Curtis. Who, that is a good movie. I know the one I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Who, her horse face aside, still looks pretty decent here, almost a decade after Perfect, with stunts and such like cannibals. Who's horse face? Jamie Lee Curtis. You don't, you don't know what? it's a horse face? What? <laughs> What? Yeah, I mean, she's, like, scary. If, if the body, you take her neck down, she's great. But otherwise, no, forget before it. I die, before I die, she's got to be the one. No. <laughs> she's got too much of Tony's face. She looks like a guy type from the head up. <laughs> but anyway, with stunts and such, like, handled with far more excitement and bombast than the cruise films. Cameron was always pretty half-assed, with his best work being Piranha 2, so far as I'm concerned. Watch out for Flying Fish. And this is no exception to the rule. I really, you know, it's not the worst film I've ever seen, but it just doesn't work. I love this movie. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great movie. What are you kidding me, man? It's good. Oy. It's got, oi. Well, we can't agree on everything, right? Yeah. Never half ass striptease. Oh, God, boy. <laughs> That's a hot striptease. What are you kidding me? <laughs> wow. Come on. After this Whew. movie, I was searching for movies where Jamie Lee Curtis appears nude. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, check out Mother's Boys, people. Oh, and then I was disheartened to see her sell like fucking pads for old ladies who have like urinary tract infections. Yes, yes, oh. I remember that. Oh. My heart fucking broke. I was like, no, like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the fuck? And it wasn't long after this, too. Destroy me! Oh my god. Anyway, the J- Jamie Lee Curtis is so hot in this. Screw you. Uh, it's perfect, I can see it, but here, I don't know. The <laughs> is worth the command price of Mission. Arnold is really good. He plays like James Bond, sort of. Even Tom Arnold is, like, fun, because I never paid attention to the guy throwing some boxes, but he's okay. I like the, and the last part of this is pretty thrilling. It blows shit up big time. Cameron's not a guy known for, here's the thing, I can see it here. He's not a guy known for <sighs> scaled down action so everything's full throttle bombast yep. actually bombast. one of the things they get away with barely is they recreate the opening of thunderbolt in a way with with the camera actually pushing arnold through through the motions in the beginning of this sneaking into a place and dancing with tia carrera when she was still a thing and and uh, like changing his suit jumping into the water trying to outrun a bunch of assassins in the snow that's a pretty cool opening so I like the fuck out of this movie. I but again, 
this is a picture not supported. Strange. It was a huge hit. Not supported by the, um, the studio and later there's no Blu-ray. The DVD was like very bare bones. So I'm not quite sure what's up with that. But uh, I like, and there for years there was going to be another one. And it's like, who wants to see Avatar 2 and 3? The first one was a piece of shit. But I'd rather see another True Lies. That's me. We covered almost the next two films that show up, which was Junior and Jingle All the Way. But in between then, he did something called Eraser. I don't know if you need to tackle that one. I didn't see that. Oh, no, it's quite good. It's actually quite good. It's actually um, uh, actually a good action movie. Chuck Russell, who did the Bob remake and a couple of those uh, Night Renown Street things. A team is slimmed down, noticeably slimmed down Arnold with uh, Vanessa Williams, James Coburn, eh? This is boss. And James Kahn is his uh, partner, and he plays special agent. And they, they're the kind of guys that get called into when people have to disappear prior to uh, making uh, statements to court, you know, that kind of thing. And, and Arnold's pretty good in this. And I actually think everybody's working top of their game. Also, the, the screenplay is like, check this out. Waylon Green, Cameron Wardwin, John Milius, Frank Darabont. I mean, you got some good people behind this picture. James Kahn is fucking off the rails and hinged in this. So, we all know how James Kahn can be. Yeah. He's totally fucking... I'd recommend this one. Some great stunts, some realistic acting. Their chemistry's okay between him and Vanessa Williams, but I had seen this years ago and saw it again for the show, and I thought, you know what? This holds up. This is not bad at all. And I watched it with someone who said, hey, that's not bad for a Schwarzenegger picture. I said, yeah, you know what? You're right. It's pretty damn good. So that's what I have to say about Eraser. Folks, check it out. You know, if you're mentioning Con Coburn and Milius in the same film, it was like, well, can you picture the pissing contest there? I could chew more nails than you can. <laughs> but I know. I, I really recommend it. It's not a just I like, you don't like kind of thing. I really recommend it if, if you missed it. Go see it. So next up he does Batman and Robin, directed uh, by Joel Schumacher. And all I said was, gayest superhero movie of all time? Perhaps. <laughs> Where he's Mr. Freeze. Oh, boy. I said something else. Uh, so anything you need to say about that before we move on? Yeah, it's, I think that was the Clooney one with the big uh, yes, him it was. Chris, Chris O'Donnell, who was yes. destined for bigger things. And they had nice suits with big nipples on them. And um, Uma Thurman, Uma, you know, fat girl Alicia Silverstone. Well, you know, everybody likes Silver. You know, some people like Alicia. I won't go there. But <laughs> uh, the villain, you know, Arnold was super powerful. He was super star. Yeah, it was only a matter of time before he got into one of these things. <laughs> Silence. I think, I, well, you know what? Here. I, I won't blame him. I think if the movie was better, if the direction was better, he would have came off better. Because an actor needs the help of a good director and the support of his cast, not, even if the film's not up to snuff. And an actor like him needs support. If you're going to throw a guy like him in a picture with a cartoon movie like this, you know, this is you know 20 years after Conan the Destroyer, which was very cartoonish. This is much more on a different scale. So I won't blame him for a really strange performance. Uh, it's, it's, yeah. So work. next up, he does something really weird, but something I actually like, which is End of Days, directed mm. by Peter Hyams. This is the guy who did Busting with Elliot Gould, which I love. Outland, which is, you know, I perpetually watch it, so it's got something going for it. Running Scare with Billy Crystal and Gregory Hines, which I love. 
Time Cop with Van Damme, which I love. Okay, he's got a good resume. And yet, this is like a weird-ass, very 90s take on Y2K Apocalypse and the Occult. I think the Ninth Gate, Da Vinci Code, and Eyes Wide Shut as much as Angel Heart, the Omen of Rosemary's Baby, somehow welded rather erratically to a typical Schwarzenegger action film. Arnold spent the 90s and 2000s in a very weird place, perhaps more invested in his political ambitions and awkward marriage to a Kennedy than films or bodybuilding. One of the more strangely entertaining, if unutterably bizarre, instances of saying, the whole thing concerns the satanic conspiracy and related church cover-up involving Satan impregnating a certain woman who was marked from birth for the purpose to father the Antichrist. It's as stupid as it sounds, but where films from the 70s like Rosemary's Baby were a more personal and intimate urban paranoia, this becomes like a Strange Days Blade Runner-style show of bombast and absurdity, mixing big action thrill sequences and gunfights with hallucinatory occult bits of business and a surprising degree of gore. Gabriel Byrne delivers a rather glib, almost understated Satan, and Schwarzenegger tries his best, but seriously, you got a guy who's supposed to be suicidal and finding his way back to God in the face of Vatican conspiracy hitmen and a ridiculously widespread web of Satanists trying to save a patently annoying, vapid, and as much as I hate the word, privileged bitch from psychos on both sides, winding up crucified, possessed by the devil, and finally impaling himself to death to save her. He's not the man for this role, though. Who would be, at least if you leave the ridiculous action aspect intact? And by the way, who's in this cast but Udo Kier and Rod Steiger too so yeah I think it's shocking that he made this movie and I think this was the beginning of a period where he had a decline I think this was a major mistake by him Gabriel Byrne by the way he's got some choice one-liners you know the near the beginning of the film he, he walks into a restaurant and he's like telling some patron hey you want me to fuck you in the ass I'm like what that's shocking but, of course, he's Satan. So, uh, there's that. Well, come on. What about the mother-daughter thing where he goes and visits one of his disciples, and he's like, oh, okay, I see your daughter's here, and all of a sudden he's like fucking the mother and the daughter in the bedroom. <laughs> what well, the hell? Well, wouldn't you? <laughs> well, the daughter was pretty hot, yeah. Yeah, okay, so there, there we, we, oh, we have no problem there. No, but what I'm talking about is that... What I'm talking about is like Arnold fucking dies in this movie, and yes, he gets impaled, you know, to save the world. It's just it was shocking, and, yeah. and it was not what you know. Okay, Arnold fights Satan. All right, Arnold fights you know the apocalypse, and there's a lot of these kind of. There was a resurgence around this time too with these kind of films. Mm-hmm. This is a very good movie by a very artistic director. I think he did the Francis Lawrence. I think he did the, the Constantine with Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. He did this picture about possession and devil worship. And I kind of like, kind of dug that. A lot of apocalyptic times around this time period, 1999, 2000, 2001. Yep. But to see Arnold fucking slumped on the cross at the end of a movie was like, what the hell is this? And I, I think, joking jokes aside, this really was a misstep for him because it was a while before he can crawl back. And I think that actually was the exact same year as two of the ones I name-checked, Ninth Gate and Eyes Wide Shut. All 99, that was a big... Everybody's really freaking out about Y2K. Are all the computers going to stop? Mm-hmm. You know, is it the end of the world? Right. Heaven's Gate, that crazy cult happened around that time? Mm-hmm. So, who knows, whatever I was thinking. But certainly was a problem for Arnold because he doesn't do too much after that. He did to, well, well, he... Did the sixth day in collateral damage, two like iffy movies. Right, questionable movies like that. I don't know if you need to cover them or not. He does Terminator three, which he said was horrible. <laughs> well uh, the, the sixth day was sort of like uh 
it had a good cast. Michael Rappaport, Michael Rooker, Robert Duvall. It was kind of like a Neil Blade Runner kind of thing. It was directed by Roger Spode as well. It's usually a good filmmaker. It didn't really work. Collateral Damage was a really weak picture. Andy Davis, who did um, Chuck Norris's uh, good one. Did you guys wear black? The Octagon? No, the, the really good one. <laughs> USA? <laughs> Code of Silence. Code of Silence. Oh, Code of Silence. Okay. And a couple of good Seagal pictures, like Under Siege and The Fugitive. He did that, too. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that guy. He did this, so you think you're getting a good picture. But, you know, the cast is weird. You got John Leguizamo, John Turturro. This is this is harkens back to Commando, in a way, but the cast isn't up to it. And it's just, uh, you know, six-day collateral damage, lesser Schwarzenegger films. T3, which I'm taking you didn't see, right? Yeah, I didn't see. Okay, it's directed by Jonathan Mostow, who, if anything, directed one really good movie, which is called Breakdown with Kurt Russell. 1997 Kurt Russell. I don't think we've ever done a Kurt Russell show. We should. No. Uh, Kurt Russell takes his wife, Kathleen Quinlan, who was a big thing like 10 years before this movie. Nice road trip. They just got married or they've been married. And she gets kidnapped by sleazy southern motherfuckers and they take her to do unspeakable things. <laughs> and, and no, this is like a nerve. You know, like one of those few movies that are nerve wracking. This is a nerve wracking movie because you got this guy. He's a family man. He's on. The, I never seen your wife. What's your wife? No, I never seen. I saw you alone. And it's a really good picture. But John Jonathan Mostow did this movie with the okay of. Uh, I'm assuming the mm-hmm. camera. But it just, I don't know really what happened here. It just didn't work. They kind of ignore the other pictures, but maybe not so much. And it's not very good. I don't know. It's it's odd because Mostow, of course, went on to, to make Hancock, the movie that almost killed Will Smith's career in, 19, in 2008 when he played a superhero. Remember that thing? Yes, I do. Yeah, so T3... Not very good. Um, it, if there's going to be anything it's memorable for, it was uh, Christina Loken, who played a female Terminator type running around L.A., who was briefly on the convention circuit, because I'm in a Terminator movie, but really nothing to speak of. didn't hurt anybody's career, but it really didn't help the franchise. Yeah, so he does a couple of kid movies, actually The Kid and I, and Around the World in 80 Days. And then he does the Expendables films, which we talked about during our uh, Stallone podcast. You know, we talked about the Expendables films in our Stallone show, but suffice to say, Arnold's barely a bit part in these. I mean, you like the second one with Van Damme best. I like the third one with Leslie Snipes best. That's pretty much enough said. I mean, anything else you need to say about them that we didn't already cover? No, it's fun. He's a cigar-chomping extrovert pretty much as he is in real life. I like them. They're enjoyable for what they are. That's about all I can say about these. Yeah, and that's almost the end of his career, because, I mean, he does something called The Last Stand, Escape Plan. I want to speak yeah. on those. Uh, Last Stand is directed by Kim Jin-un, who Korean filmmaker, who who did I Saw the Devil and Doomsday and uh, Wolf Brigade and a couple other Korean pictures of note. This was, you know, at the time, they were bringing Asian filmmakers over here to do weird movies. Arnold's back... From uh, you know, during the ten years or so, he was governor twice, uh, twice appointed, I believe, of California. You know, he came back, and the last damn was really good. It's uh, you got this Korean filmmaker directing Arnold Schwarzenegger, a Texas sheriff. Don't laugh. 
good cast. Luis Guzman, Peter Stomari, who's kind of like a raging psycho, apparently. I'll be back, y'all. Yeah, <laughs> Forrest Whitaker. And so what it is, is a high noonish kind of picture. We got this, like, guy in this small town, and we got this sleepy town, and the sheriff that nobody respects is Arnold, and these super criminals are going to come into town and wipe it out just to get this bad guy back. And then Arnold looks around and he says, well, this guy's a bunch of misfits. I, it's highly enjoyable. Good stuff. A little proto-violent, harking back to the old days. But I, I recommend it. Escape Plan is, we kind of slipped over this one. This was a 2013 picture with Stallone. This was like one of their first team-ups, post-Expendables. Actually, not bad. The first one's not bad. Michael Hefstrom, who did some decent movies before this. Stallone's a guy who builds, he's super uber rich, and he builds shit, designs shit, like prisons. And he gets imprisoned by, what is that guy really good at playing sleazy bastard? So Jim Cavazio gets imprisoned by him wrongfully into his own super prison. And who's there but Stallone and 50 Cent? That's another thing. And, uh, not Stallone, Schwarzenegger and 50 Cent. And... It's not bad. Testosterone's running high like the old days. Surprisingly, this did very well on DVD, Blu-ray, and cable. So much so that this terrible, terrible second one. But Maggie, did you get to see Maggie? No, I. you know, you said it was on Netflix, and it wasn't. Uh, they it. must have removed it. Sorry. Yeah, that's all right. I did want to see it, though, from what you told me. Yeah, Maggie's very good. It's 2015. We're getting, we're getting caught up here, folks. I guess I'm going to have to carry this one. It's very good. You know, all those years, there's two pictures, actually. This one and another one, I, I think I probably saw two alone. All those years, people said, he's not a good actor. This is one of those movies. He's a father, served like your zombie apocalypse happens in the world. And he sees his daughter, who's been bitten, and, and she's changing. This, you know, She's in the virus thing, and he wants to save her. He's trying to find her a hospital. He knows she's infected, and he's trying to deal with the heartbreaking realization that his daughter's going to turn into a zombie. Really good, low-key. This is not an action movie. This is a film about a father dealing with a very particular case. Now your daughter has changed. What do you do? He's, his performance in this is really, really good. Another thing he did, which I saw last year, and it was kind of a heartbreaking fucking movie to watch. It's called Aftermath. Again, Arnold is in mature actor mode uh, lately, apparently. And he plays a construction worker whose wife and daughter are killed in the plane crash. Apparently, the plane crash may have been accidental, not terrorist engineered. And he, upon learning that it might have been due to, uh, what do you call those guys? Uh, the the guys that sit down in the tower and they tell planes where to go. Where they, where they... Oh, the air traffic controllers. Yes, yeah. yes. Air tra- it might have been due to negligence and he just wants to know why and the truth this is a really hard drama he's really quite good at this this is different from maggie which is strikingly heartbreaking this is like man who needs to know things it's really good it's called aftermath i recommend this if you want to see something different 
And that kind of takes us to current days. Arnold is a guy that has changed a lot over the years, which is something that we're supposed to do in life. You know, we're not put on this planet to remain children our entire lives. We're supposed to be refined through fire in our experiences, learn things from other people, and kind of grow. It's really a shame that politics these days has people doing more or less purity tests. Oh, how come you don't think the same way you did when you were 15 and full of testosterone and dumb? Well, because I'm not an idiot anymore? I mean, you know, that's the reality. He's supposed to grow up. And he definitely did. I mean, just in his film roles, forget about, as we mentioned, his politics or his life. He's made mistakes. He owns up to them. He's not ashamed of them. He's just like, hey, you know, I fucked up. What am I going to do? What I can fix, I can fix. But I basically, i got to move on. And a lot of things he really is. He's, he's stumping for the right things. He's saying the right things. He's doing the right things. And, okay, yeah, this is a guy whose acting career was... Yeah, you got a little bit in the 70s. You got a little bit in the 90s. But he was really defined by the 80s, more so than Stallone or any of these other action guys that you can think of off the top of your head. He was an 80s action star, and that's it. But nonetheless... I mean, the guy's still making movies, and to some extent, he's increasing in complexity. Even if you go something as ridiculous as End of Days, it's like, well, that's a really strange role for the guy to pick. Something you couldn't see the guy behind, you know, Commando or Raw Deal picking. And certainly as a politician or an ex-politician, if you will, standing up to Trump's nonsense is, in a way, I mean, everybody's doing it, but it's kind of ballsy because as the country becomes more horribly authoritarian, it's, in a way, putting yourself in the line of fire, especially being a public figure like he is. Uh, These people are wackos. You know, Trump is getting a bunch of people that are off their friggin' rockers who are basically, you know, Michigan militia types. Yeah. And using them as his base, his, like, defense force without, you know, throwing out wolf whistles to him pretending that he did nothing. So, in a way, it's kind of dangerous to speak the truth and say, hey, you're an asshole. We should get you out of office as soon as possible. You're a maniac. And he's doing that. And he's also doing other things besides just talking. He's actually taking green initiatives. He's done some things towards the end of his governorship. And hopefully, you know, maybe someone will get some other office or some other opportunity to do something more than just as an individual to get people, you know, moving along and progressing as a society. I think he's on that road finally. You know, maybe it's age, maybe it's experience, but, I, you know, just seeing the guy grow like he did says a lot to me. And especially having been such a hero to me, you know, back in my bodybuilding days, and having been such an inspiration just through being the star of Conan, being Conan, now to see him growing up, if you will. Silly to say for a grown man of his age, but that's what it is. He's growing up as a person. He's becoming more enlightened. Is inspirational. And so I really do have a... More so than somebody like Stallone, where, okay, yeah, okay, he's, I have no problem with Stallone, he's a nice guy, but Arnold is kind of inspirational. And I give him credit for moving on with his life and becoming, or trying to become, something more than what he started with. I, I agree. Very well said. Very well said. Plus, no, seriously, I'm, I'm not fucking with you. I agree with you. And, uh, yeah, very impressed that post-official political career, he's, he's comfortable enough in his own skin to come out to actually not only apologize for his past mistakes non-politically, mm-hmm. but to to apologize for where our country is and how we got there, and mm-hmm. trying to suggest alternatives. Yes. And trying to seek unity, which is one thing people in office in control of this country right now are not suggesting at all. No one is quite the opposite. Uni- yes, yeah. no one is seeking unity. I get this man a lot of credit. This man started out as a bodybuilding hero to many, but a bit of an acting joke. And then he got good at it. He got better at it. 
He became an icon. He was icon of the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Now he's a matured actor. It remains to be seen what's going to happen in the next Terminator. But at this point in time, I would say, applause to Arnold Schwarzenegger. You did your American dream, and now you command great respect. That's basically it. Uh, next time, there's not too many left in the season we discussed. You mentioned possibly Michelle Yeoh. You mentioned possibly Tobolina. Oh, I don't remember if there's something else. Let's do Michelle Yeoh. Let's let's go to the wild side. All right. So uh, next time, I guess we will be doing Michelle Yeoh. You heard it here first. So thanks for joining us tonight. We hope you enjoyed our little drawing room chat on Mr. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Next time, we'll be talking Michelle Yeoh, the lovely Michelle Yeoh. If you'd like to contact us here, comment suggestions, or you're a filmmaker, musician, who would like to join us in air, drop us a line on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash weirdscenes1, or our website, weirdscenes1.wordpress.com. We're also on Twitter, at weirdscenes1. And we're also, of course, on Podbean, thirdeyecinema.podbean.com. And we're on iTunes, itunes.apple.com, U.S. Podcast, Third Eye Cinema, Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine Podcast, ID 5534020044, or more likely just look us up on Google, and uh, you will find us under the Third Eye Cinema, Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine Podcast. Weird Scenes Inside the Goldmine, brought to you by the new improved Third Eye Cinema, Weird Scenes Network. <laughs> now I'm popping. So anything else you want to say before we close out? Yes, not, not brought to you by Crisco Oil. Not, not <laughs> Definitely not Crisco oil. Definitely. God, if there was anything, it would be uh, Botticelli extra virgin olive oil. That's what I swear uh, about. Not Crisco oil. <laughs> uh, Crisco, good lord. <laughs> that was the one good joke in the Ritz. That that really weird Broadway play. That was a strange movie with Jerry Stiller and mm. and F. Murray <laughs> Abraham and. It was like one of the. Remember, there was a time when like these these like they wanted to get the gays into the theater and and. and there was this joke, and like you know, Jerry still is like this this mob guy. He's hiding out from the boys in a in a gay bathhouse in the village, <laughs> and he runs into. I remember this joke, and I remember seeing it in the theater. Shh. And <laughs> and he goes, "Where's Joe? Joe's in the room. Don't bring Sam. Why don't I bring Sam? He's got the Crisco. Bring the Crisco oil. Because why? Crisco oil party." I said, oh. <laughs> anyway, so this show is not brought to you by Crisco Oil. <laughs> it may be brought to you by Hope Stansbury, who I interviewed for Third Eye, and we talked all about Vapors, which she wrote. <laughs> Speaking of the Crisco party at the gay path. House. There you go. <laughs> I'm just joking. I hope this is a decent person. <laughs> and so sure am I. Was, I'm sure that was far from her mind when she wrote this script about Oh, very far from her <laughs> Alright, thank you for joining. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. We actually took a very serious look at Mario's movies, uh, which is what I wanted to do. And uh, hope you watch some movies that you know, really enjoyed and spoke highly of. Maybe even some of the ones that we didn't speak so highly of. Take a look. Enjoy, thanks for coming back.
Sunday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Tune in to Third Eye Cinema, your source for in-depth discussion of cult cinema with a focus on film that matters. Cult, grindhouse, drive-in, independent, and underground film from the dawn of the talkies through the early 90s. This is a forum where we explore genre film and music from around the world, in-depth conversation and career analysis with directors, actors, and musicians, and open discussion on films that matter, those that fall outside the mainstream corporate film by boardroom committee. These are the problems of the auteur, the visionary, the dreamer, the outsider. None of that direct that passes for mainstream film these days. This is all about the glory days of independent cinema from all over the world. Any of the hotbeds of obscure, oddball, or generally wild cinema available on DVD from the dawn of the medium to this very day. Join us as we delve deep into the cinematic netherworld here on Third Eye Cinema. Sundays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio. What is At Eye Level? A reductio ad absurdum look at the headlines from politics to pop culture, from the corporate to the individual. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, we take a not-so-serious look at the serious issues of the day. Whether it's politics, economics, social issues, music, or old movies and TV shows, we discuss everything the corporate media overlooks while making you laugh at the absurdity of it all. Hell, you gotta have a sense of humor about life. Just look at the headlines. So join me, Matt G. And me, Doc Savage. Every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern as we navigate the sea of trolls, talking points, and trickery. And try to figure out a way to be there when tomorrow comes. At eye level, bringing more to you. Only on the Big Papa Network, on Blog Talk Radio. Join us on Tuesday nights at 6.30 Eastern for an exploration of the many roads and methods which promise to lead us to the ultimate answer, a higher purpose, the meaning of life. I'm just like a lot of you, a middle-aged mom with piles of laundry and a meditation practice. I've been down many roads to get where I am today, and my journey is far from finished. But I'd like to share my experience and hard-earned wisdom with you. So what is it about women and spirituality? It seems like we're always the first to try out something new. Christianity was spread in large part by wealthy women. And where would Uncle Al be without a scarlet women? Who is by and far the largest audience of New Age alternative spirituality? What is it about us that always has us seeking? And why does it always seem that men tend to take over what we discover? Join us for a dialogue between two long-lost friends representing both the yin and yang aspects of the whole, each of whom have traveled multifarious paths all across the spectrum of spirituality, the dark side and the light, from the organized to the out of the way. This show is for all those frustrated in their quest who've been through various stops on the spectrum of spirituality and found them ultimately unfulfilling. Join us for some harder and lessons and thoughts on potential new directions and possible value in what inevitably fails in organized practice, but which may have some merit to the solo practitioner, fellow seekers of truth, in this journey towards life. Moving towards life. Lessons in life and spirituality from an unconventional seeker. Bringing more to you only here on the Big Papa Online Network. On Blog Talk Radio. Thursday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Join us for Weird Scenes Inside the Gold Mine, your essential guide to all things wild and wonderful in the world of cult entertainment. Drop in for a spell as Doc Savage, Lois Paul, myself, discuss the beloved, the Katie, 
career, and the wonderful world of cult films, music, television, and more. We'll be covering classic films, shows, musicians, and literature of the past, with an eye towards what new visions may still arise from the soullessly derivative mire of our modern age. Tune in, turn on, and take a step outside the mainstream as we dig deep into the rich vein of cult cinema, music, and television right here on Weird Seats Inside the Gold Mine. Only here on the Big Papa Online Network on Blog Talk Radio.